Coming up on this episode of the podcast Under the Stairs, we continue our look into the summer Teapot's top 10 series counting down each year in the decade of the 70s, taking 10 movies in and leaving with two to create the ultimate top 10 list of horror movies from the 1970s. Up this week, it's 1975, but before we get into the movies... You know what time it is. It's year four, motherfuckers, and this time, it's war. Warning, the podcast under the stairs is not safe for work. We'll feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners may find offensive. Brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast under the stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 118. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Episode 118 continues our look into the top 10 Teapots series. That's right, summer of 2017 has us looking at the decade known as the 70s, going through them each year per episode, taking 10 movies in, whittling them down to only two movies using the Noah's Ark rules and carrying them forward to an ultimate list of 20 movies which will form our top 10 horror movies of the 1970s and a very special roundtable episode coming up at the end of September. It's been a fantastic run of shows. We have passed the halfway mark which means we're down to the back five. Oh my god and if that wasn't enough with this being another two episode week the next week coming up will be another two episode week but we'll be taking a break from top 10 shows on monday coming we will be putting out our teapots movie club that's the challenge teapots movie club that we had for august 2017 um, looking at time crimes and that'll be dropping on monday and then a week today thursday the 31st of august teapots will be celebrating its fourth year anniversary with a very special anniversary show featuring your voicemails a special movie review and a Q&A with me and the Baz so that'll be coming up a week today so so much content coming in the next couple of weeks it's going to be double episodes pretty much up until the end of September when we kick off the fantastic Baz v Halloween year four but we're going to get into that later on, ladies and gents, because we've got so much more to talk about at the moment. So, let's focus. Let's draw our attention inwards. I have a fantastic guest coming up after the break. It's the fantastic Court Psyops. He's here to talk about 1975. We have 10 awesome movies. One which involves a shark. You may have heard of it before. It's called Jaws. It was a pretty big deal. It's what the summer blockbuster is based on. The formula set out by that movie and many have come and gone in the interim, but very few hold a candle to the mighty, mighty Jaws. <sighs> but to hear that conversation, we have to get through a break. So you're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the intro for the summer Teapot's Top 10 series. It's 
Top 10 70s Horror. I'll return with my guest Court Psyops right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors with a lighthearted look at three of their movies? Meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics and others too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried prostitute. But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. There's no more room in hell. The dead will walk here. The only thing about a shark is him. Lifeless eyes. Black eyes, like a doll's eye. Another year is upon us, and we are at the halfway mark. It's all downhill from here. We've just crossed that lovely halfway threshold, uh, threshold and are now moving into 1975. 1975. What a year it was. This year brought us the summer blockbuster, a concept which is now taken for granted every summer. We're going to have all these blockbuster movies, etc. But this year spawned it, and of all genres to spawn it, it was a fucking horror movie. Who would have thought it? Um, horror fans, obviously. But the rest of the people scratching their heads. How did they not think of it? Um, yeah, it took a little man called Steven Spielberg. And we'll be discussing that movie later on. Or maybe not. Maybe we didn't put it on our list. Of course we put it on our list. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. People are fucking hyperventilating in their rooms. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're fine. Um, making his first appearance on this 2017 run of the Teapot's Top 10, but not his first appearance overall in the Top 10. He was around last year when we did our Top 10 Stephen Kings. Um, 
adaptations, movies, TV movies, etc, etc. He is a, a frequent offender on the podcast Under the Stairs now. Um, a very good friend of mine. He hosts Cinema PsyOps with the lovely Matt. Um, and he has also recently started up the new OCD podcast on Legion Podcasts. It is the fantastic Court PsyOps. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing excellent. I'm I'm very happy to be speaking to you this early on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it is. Like, all my guests are saying that now, but secretly I think that you're talking behind my back. Uh, I think you're having like, like does, it, does it make you get up at nine? Yeah, have you even had a coffee yet? No, I can't even get my coffee. Fuck McLeish and his brutal regime. That's, that's kind of how I imagine it going. Uh, or maybe not. <laughs> um, so when I was compiling this idea, this insane idea spanning over essentially 11 shows um, with 100 movies and a lot of discussion. And I said I wanted five podcasters on to join me on the journey, each taking the burden of two years. Uh, You were at the top of the list, sir. And the reason behind that is from speaking uh, in the past, I know that we we share a a very, very similar hive mind on on a lot of movies and in particular a, a deep love for the decade known as the 1970s. Um, is this your favourite decade for horror, or does the 80s just pip it out? It's pretty freaking close to being my favourite. I think the two are at war in my brain as to which <laughs> one I like more. Because, But I think the 70s wins out because they did all the innovating, and then the 80s just kind of clutched onto that and kept going. Mm-hmm. But all the stuff I love from the 80s is directors that got their start or or cut their chops in the 70s. Yeah. So the 70s kind of wins out, right? Yeah, I think, I think, and like a lot of the names that become, well, all the masters of horror, well, all the main masters of horror are all starting this decade, their careers kick off, you know, in, in this decade for sure. I mean, with the exception of Romero, who, you know, just tides over just on that, that late 60s kind of wave. Uh, the rest of them are all, all 70s, really. Um, of the American Masters of Horror, that is not the obviously like your Takashi Mikis and stuff, but yeah, th- this is this is the one that really, uh, this is a decade that's like right. We understand you've got your vampires, you've got your creatures from other planets, you've got your mummies and your zombies and stuff like that. We understand that right now. Here is the real horror. Guess what? The real horror's man. <laughs> man is an <laughs> evil son of a bitch, and he will do a lot of horrible things because we have lived through Vietnam, ladies and gents, and we are an evil, evil race that do horrible things to each other. And let's see those acts upon the screen. Um, And the rules change completely in the 70s in so many facets, and there's so many filmmakers and directors who start to really push um, artistic taste um, and the (laughs) genre confinements into brand new subgenres of horror that stay... With, with future filmmakers but essentially make names of themselves so much so that they have huge careers. I mean, no one, your average horror fan that goes to see Scream in 1996, if you told them that that director had done this nasty little movie called Last House on the Left, <laughs> you know, back at back in 72, no one would have believed that at all. Um, but, you know, if you showed them, they certainly wouldn't have believed it. Not this guy! He's got Courtney Cox in this movie. <laughs> that guy wouldn't have. That guy wouldn't have had a woman raped and peed on. No, but yeah, that's the same guy. 
Surprise, surprise. Be, be fair, they made her pee on herself. She did. She got, she, yeah, she, <laughs> she, 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 had, she had an accident. And I'm, I'm surprised it was just pee, because uh, if I had been there, I would have shat myself. Um, <laughs> like, literally shat myself. Uh, that, that, that movie still uh, affects my, my lizard brain in a way which I can't control. Um, so, yeah, you landed two years uh, in here, like all my guests, but you landed some of the later ones. So a lot of people bought that. The pressure is off court. Uh-uh. Uh, the pressure <laughs> is you landed two years, which I would say are are not easy years to easy years to talk about, but not easy years to whittle down. Um, and like I say, one of them is 1975. You will be back uh, in a couple of shows time as well to do 1978, which is just a clusterfuck to sort down the two <laughs> movies. And I get the feeling there may be actual audible tears on that show um, <laughs> as we don't put through certain ones but we can't release that movie list yet this movie list though is is a, oh, holy shit uh, right so the, the movies that you brought in um, which obviously I told all my guests you tell me what your top five movies are where we have crossover I will pick a different movie there was three titles on here uh, which were on my original list uh, one being Jaws, another one being Deep Red, and the third one being Shivers. I had all three of them down as, as movies I wanted to discuss, but you picked them, so I, I came back with certain ones. But you picked two that weren't, were movies that I'd seen, but weren't ones were, that were at the forefront of my mind. Okay, Jaws, Deep Red, Strip Nude for Your Killer, Eyeball, Shivers, The Last Stop on the Night Train, Don't Open the Door, the killer must kill again, lips of blood, and race with the devil. Now, ladies and gents, you may be saying, well, this is obvious. What building, Duncan building up his show again. Oh, it's so difficult. Look, it's so difficult. Oh, so many choices. But there's really only... T- no, this is not as easy, and there is a reason <laughs> this is not easy. Um, there are a couple of movies on this list that I think are really fucking good, like excellent examples of genre cinema um, and we will we will get into them we will get into these now what surprised me mostly about your list court is how many of those Italian titles made that list you um, I always I don't know why it is because I know we talk a lot about movies but for some reason I always my, my kind of knee jerk response um, with you is less with European cinema and more with American cinema I don't know why I I think that because I know we share a lot in common um, have you always had a love for kind of European horror cinema does it always kind of you know feature like when you're doing lists is your mind always conscious of that or is it a case of you write a list of American movies and then go right I'm going to go online and see what else come out of that yeah I've seen that movie so I'll put that in well uh, Italian cinema, cinema in particular has always been a uh, very forefront in my brain. Uh, a lot of the stuff I had seen without even really realizing that it was from another country. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I showed it to friends of mine and they're like, man, the dubbing's terrible. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the American cinema was very prevalent on VHS everywhere where I grew up. But Italian cinema in particular, whenever you start finding that more obscure, weird stuff that's out there, you know, especially as a kid growing up in America, you start finding these weirder, more obscure movies and that stuff sticks with you more. 
anyone who sees like for instance just this year alone like if you can get your hands on a copy of eyeball whether it's you know a bootleg vhs back in the day or you know a store that ended up finding a way of having it or uh let's say a friend happened to import a laser disc or something you know? <laughs> however however i may have seen it but you see something like eyeball and it's so different than any other kind of horror murder slasher movie so you become obsessed with jally once you realize that the things that you love as a kid like slasher movies were so heavily influenced by them uh you know just to mention deep red that's on our list strip nude for your killer and eyeball those those three that were on my top five that you had me do those are some of the as far as i'm concerned best films to come out of the european uh horror for the 70s you know and 75 in particular for that year it's hard to beat those three when it comes to horror and i i feel they're all three very influential in very different ways but we won't dig too deeply into that but, <laughs> but i kind of I, I don't know there's once well another another aspect of euro horror in general for me is hammer films mm -hmm. i was obsessed with hammer films as a kid not realizing that they weren't american movies <laughs> you, you know and and so once once you kind of realize their country of origin and you start looking for other you know other movies that that fit into that realm so that's exactly why i i love your euro horror you know why limit yourself to just one continent <laughs> no this is true this is true i think it, uh, i mean it's always i think it's almost always i kind of taken for granted from from especially people in the uk just that we had access to all these well when they weren't banned <laughs> we had, <laughs> we had access to all these movies readily available um because you know movies that were coming out in italy were shown like just that it was almost like a you know a given they would be shown in the uk or spanish horror movies german horror movies they would do the circuits over here and then we also were in the unique position where you know like most of europe <laughs> most of mainland europe anyway you were getting those those big American titles coming over as well, so it's almost like a it was that always that weird cocktail there just as a prerequisite, and I I, I don't know as like I I know that there are there are certain people that will go through their life without seeing a a, a kind of foreign horror movie, and that's fine. I mean if if you if you don't want to do that, then that is cool. I mean you're denying yourself incredible movies with really unique voices and different takes on what makes horror interesting and or scary um, and the american market taps into that a lot that's why you know after the you know after the, the, the j-horror things started finding its feet again in the the very late 90s early 2000s america picked up on that carried that forward then they looked at spain because spain had some titles coming out so you got remakes of wreck you know and they do that the, the korean uh, cinema scene at the moment is one that has got quite a lot of attention at it um they they've done a few already they have announced a few coming up and uh, i think rights have been sold for the biggest korean uh, horror movie of last year, which was Train to Busan, which is getting a remake as well. So I mean, they're, they go they go through phases. If you're an American only uh, genre fan, then chances are you will be watching movies which have their origins abroad, um, and that's cool. Like I say, you don't have to to visit it, but I feel specifically when you're looking at the seventies, um, America finds its voice towards 
the middle to late 70s and prior to that it's really Europe that is uh, in particular Italy that is swinging the bat constantly because they're just they're like what American cinema becomes in the 1980s where it just becomes crazy and everyone like that slasher scene is like it, it scarily follows what happened in Italy during the, the, the kind of boom and bust of, of the Jolly and that you really only have maybe about five years of an actual scene where everything and there's so many titles coming out and it's people just riffing on the same ideas but bringing in wackier and crazier elements um, and that is Italian horror cinema during the 70s they're like oh what's that oh America's done a shark movie right this is the most insane shark movie because this is a possessed shark movie um, and they, they just start going crazy and taking loads of different ideas and elements and converting them in but at the same time then becoming influential to American movie makers are like look at what the Italians are doing this is crazy it's so original not really they've just copied what you guys have done um, and it becomes this <laughs> weird kind of melting pot of people almost wanting to outdo what the other scene is doing and it becomes incredible and you're right I mean you picked like some really 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 good jelly on there um, and then I was like that well let's let's not stop there let's let's keep this let's keep this train going um, and whilst uh, last stop on the night train is definitely not a jello movie it's is one that is exactly what I was saying earlier about owing its roots to American horror cinema um, and then you know the killer must kill again is just a really unique kind of almost Hitchcockian sort of jally which I mean we, we don't see many like them either and the names that the people attached to these are you know the names that would, would be moving forward even by now standards when you see people writing about the genre these are the big names that, that come up with it so I kind of feel like we, we, we're, we're kind of starting we're already talking about 1975 and we're touching on some <laughs> of these movies and I just mentioned one right there and we don't do them in order here because the order we've written them out tends to push the the, the bigger titles to, to the top so what we're going to do <laughs> is we mix it up and we kind of just started talking about one there or I did uh, which is the last stop on the night train, or, or as I like to call it, um, last on last house on the left on a train, because um, <laughs> that's really what it is. Uh, a, a very very famous movie in the UK because it was a video nasty. Um, so yeah, banned in the UK, <laughs> uh, not allowed to be distributed under penalty. Now let me get this right. I don't think this is one of the. What's that? I don't know if this is one of the prosecutable ones or if it was a non-prosecutable. And I should know that because I spent a year doing fucking the nasty <laughs> podcast, which basically was all that stuff. But you guys did talk about this one and you guys didn't talk about the expanded list in individual coverage. So I would assume that it was on the actual prosecuted list. Yeah, I think so. I want to say it was. And it feels like it should be because trust me, it, it's, it's scarier than um, a lot of the movies which were also on that list. Uh, so this one directed by director Aldo Lado. Now, you may want to cast your memories back, ladies and gents, to 1971, uh, where this man did his uh, debut, which was Short Night of the Glass Dolls, the movie that Bo saw and then said, 
I think I'm now in love with Jalo. And I was like, yes, Bo, finally! If only I'd known <laughs> this was the movie that would have done it, I would have shown you it years ago. So, yeah, director Aldo Lado continued on making lots of movies like a lot of Italian directors did, and he landed this one. It's also known as Don't Ride on the Late Night Trains. It stars Flavio Bucci, Matcha Merrill, Glan uh, Franco de Grassi, and Enrico Mar- Marina Sal- Salerno, I think that's how you pronounce that. Sorry for my Italian listeners, of which I have none. Um, the synopsis for this one. A pair of psychotic hoodlums and an equally demented nymphomaniac woman terrorise two young girls on a train trip from Germany to Italy. Now, like I said, a bit of trivia about this one. Uh, the film was, in fact, rejected for a UK cinema certificate in 1976 by the BBFC. Uh, later on, when they tried to, to, to release it again, ended up as a, as an official title on the Video Nasties list. Um, it only became available uncut in the UK um, as of 2008. So, a lot later than things like um, I Spit in Your Grave, which was, I think, 2001. That one got released um, and uh, uncut. And I think Last House on the Left was maybe 2001 as well. So this one took a bit longer, most likely because it wasn't as prominent um, as I Spit in Your Grave, which had full like page spreads in the UK and, um, and newspapers calling it, you know, the most disgusting movie ever made and we're fairly <laughs> sure that someone had his manhood chopped off while making that movie etc etc <laughs> now Court I, I know you 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 trolled through the Doing the Nasty uh, show but I also know that you were not a sadist like a lot of the listeners there <laughs> and you didn't put yourself through every fucking movie on the list was this one you'd seen before or is this, was this the first time watch for this recording I owned the Blu-ray that uh, Blue Underground released in America under the title of Night Train Murders. And ah, nice. I have seen this before, and I had seen it before that as well. I'd seen a... I know I say this a lot, but uh, I I was one of the tape traders in the early days mm-hmm. of the internet. So this was one of the ones that I got my hands on that was a dubbed VHS that somebody gave me. Uh, it was not as complete as the most recent versions that are out there that I had seen it, but that was all ages and ages ago. And it wasn't until I actually got to see it when I bought the Blu-ray that I really actually got to see it because the tape was so bad. You couldn't really (laughs) tell what was going on. And, but that, as you've discussed on your video nasty show, that leads to the charm. You know, it, it adds some, some charm to the movie as well, but you really don't get to see how well shot it is. And that's, that's the thing that's the most disturbing about it for me is it 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 doesn't have that very visceral last house on the left feel. It's very art film and then all the horrible things that happen in it are just so masterfully shot that it it's like that much more disgusting. Yeah. Whenever whenever the the horrible things that happen. And we discussed how uh last house on the left was obvious the obviously the influence from this film and it was even released in america for a time as last house 2 i don't know how that works but okay (laughs) (laughs) which uh, to be fair they tried to um that was a title they had tried to lump on a twitch of the death nerve which um that was the original american title they were going with was last house on the left part two 
Um, and it was actually Mario Bava that was like, that's fucking stupid. Uh, my, movie, <laughs> my movie came out a year before his. Uh, and I'm just going to say Bava, like he without sin cast the first stone. Italy were really good at that as well. I'm looking at you zombie movies. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and yeah. don't get me started on the demon movies. Uh, which, oh, which do exactly yeah. the same but uh, he had said at the time uh, I would much rather it was called something like Twitch of the Death Nerve which which is what they undertook as a name but yeah they'd been trying for a while to latch that on purely because the marketing campaign for Last House on the Left had been incredible that if you could name it this then you would probably you, you, you'd probably get punters coming through the door to see the movie just because of the name alone um, but yeah I mean it's, it's a bit difficult to watch this movie and not see the glaring influence uh, in this one. I mean, like it's, it almost follows identically the same beats. I almost wonder if they went back to the actual Virgin Spring, which was the influence on Last House on the Left, uh-huh. because it feels a little bit more like that classical storytelling of the horrible things that happen, where it's, you know, while traveling on the road instead of just, you know, becoming victim of a bad drug deal <laughs> that, yeah. that ends up in kidnapping <laughs> because in the virgin spring aren't the the they're like actual travelers or, or padfoots that are out and about and they happen upon uh the the young maiden and in this case they're on a train i mean it's kind of an update more of that or at least it feels that way it's a lot more artistic yeah the way that it it displays the horror and god-awful rape and just degradation of these two young girls yeah i think you're right i think that there's there's certainly it would be difficult to argue that it, it doesn't feel more in keeping with that um i think it was something you touched on which i think is really interesting because it's something that i think is overlooked um or it's that there's assumptions made to the contrary uh, which is about how you shoot movies and a lot of people think that you know, a, a, a grittier, grimier feel of a movie will inherently make something more visceral, will make something more unpleasant, um, and will make something, you know, genuinely jarring to the point that that's what aids the movie. And to an extent, that's correct. Um, I mean, Aldo Lado has an incredible visual eye, uh, as displayed with his, uh, his opening movie, Short Night of the Glass Dolls, which is wonderfully shot. I mean, these guys were all coming up in a system of, of making movies where they got to learn at the, the helm, you know, of fantastic filmmakers who would just pass that knowledge down. Everyone helped each other on their projects. You know, the Bavas were helping the Argentos, the Argentos were helping the Lenses, the Lenses were helping the Cuzos. Um, you know, everyone was just, you know, it was, it was a, an idea, a sense of family, which I know is a word that, you know, Italians love having assigned to them in a way which actually means family and not organised crime. Um, <laughs> so well, I just want to make that, that, um, that blatantly clear. But I think there are times when something shot beautifully, almost in the juxtaposition about what is happening on the screen and the way it's shot, makes it the most unconcerning or disconcerting thing ever and my example for that has always been irreversible now i've seen many rape scenes in movies many times uh, not because i hunt them out i just watch <laughs> a lot of movies where bad things happen to women um or men I've seen plenty of them as well um and i think that the big thing for me in watching 
you know, irreversible was, all right, here's another rape scene. I, I don't really like these, but here we go. And I mean, the, the cinematography in that movie is absolutely fucking incredible. Um, and then you see that scene, and that scene sticks with me. I, I mean, even think, even just talking about it just now, I can almost replay the whole thing in my head, and I feel myself breaking it in a cold sweat. And it sticks with. And this movie is—it's exactly what you said. This movie does very much the same sort of idea. What what is happening to these women is, you know, it has that that Italian exploitation feel. So the American one really was getting pushed um, by people like Wes Craven. Italy already kind of had a level of sleaze in their cinema, and it's, I mean, it'd been there for, for a wee while, um, and they were kind of comfortable with it, not super comfortable with it, considering, uh, you know, they're a, a devoutly Catholic country, um, they were alright with it, but even by their standards, you know, this movie started pushing things, um, and there's a bit of backlash there, you know, it, it also faced an intense scrutiny uh, from the censors in Italy at the time. And it's because they, they really try and outdo the horrible things that happened to the girls in, in uh, Last House on the Left. And you have these, when, when they see, you know, psychotic hoodlums, um, I, I don't think that necessarily does justice to how weird they are they just don't feel human um but in a way which makes them feel human i don't know if that like when they talk about people that have um that are psychotic um or schizophrenic or you know like the, the various different terms that are assigned to people that have you know chemical imbalances in their brain which just don't make them act the way quote unquote normal people do um there's always that thing about there's a, a disconnect it's an inability to understand the position of you know everyone else they they don't see what they're doing as being wrong and i i, I think they nail that in this movie in a way which actually almost feels like ahead of its time um they genuinely are 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 hellraisers that's that's their whole thing and the the nymphomaniac women um i mean it's their nymphomania is not a crime I just want to stress that. If, if you want to do a whole lot of fucking and you want to do it often, then you do it, right? Just find someone that wants to do it with you and you ride them silly. That's all I'm <laughs> saying, right? That's the, You know, that's that's fine. But um, the fact that she's kind of lumped into this, the fact that it's, it's twisted into her sexuality becomes kind of entangled with, you know, the violence of what they're doing. It, it, it makes it it's a really weird it's a really uncomfortable watch this movie um, surprisingly uncomfortable and it doesn't let up you know really right to the very end which follows the same beats of Last House on the Left you know they ultimately end up um, staying at a place that they probably shouldn't um, and are revealed in a way which is you know set up not like Last House on the Left, but kind of like Last House on the Left. And then it leads to the ultimate, you know, you're in this house now, now you will be hunted. Um, and I think I think it's wonderfully done. I, I really, really do. I think this movie is pretty incredible, but it's not one that I would rush back to watch, like, a lot. And the reason behind that is that the subject matter, very much like Court said, is shot in such a way that it feels fresh and vibrant and Italian, 
and that for whatever reason just makes the stuff that happens on screen all the more disconcerting it's like that way when you first watch don't torture the duckling for the very first time when you sit down and you see the beautiful landscapes of italy and all these small towns and the, you know all the rest and then halfway through that woman you watch a woman be beat to death with a chain um, and you're like yeah this is fucked up like really fucked up um, and this movie certainly falls into that camp is there anything else you want to say about the last stop on the night train aka don't ride on the late night trains aka night train something something night train murders that's the one <laughs> night train murders yeah uh the lady on the train that we were talking about i think she's more than just a nymphomaniac yes. i think she actually is a sexual sadist mm -hmm. but she had no idea that she was until she was given the opportunity to exercise that demon yeah uh she ends up encouraging and egging these guys on and she ends up take she's the one that pushes everything too far yeah there's there's points where the guys are looking at her like lady what's your problem as yeah. they're starting to do some of the things that they do. And we won't really go into it because it's absolutely horrible and let's not bring down the tone of the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's another, uh, there's a guy that they end up bringing in that ends up actually raping one of the girls for their pleasure to watch. Mm -hmm. And then he just leaves and then in his guilt calls the cops. So fuck that guy. He's possibly the biggest scumbag in the whole entire movie. Yeah, it's a weird, to it's a weird choice to do that in this movie, but I think it's a really clever choice to show that some people will be caught up and you know in the fever of doing things you know i mean the, this idea of there's always that great once again i keep i don't want to keep mentioning you know uh, last house on the left because i've already discussed it as part of this show but <laughs> one of the one of the most impactful scenes in that movie to me is the after you know after they've made the the, the woman wet herself um the, the camera kind of turns around and you get this this look and it's it's a weird look of have we just did we just do that you know what i mean and then they kind of snap back into right we need to cover this up um but it's just for that and it's just i was like maybe about a two second clip and the the facial reactions are amazing uh, i don't know if they're planned or not but they just and, and, and to me that that on some level like disturbs me more than some of what i actually see is this idea of well, they, they do know what they've done you know, and, and now they're going to try and cover it up and that guy like you say fucking scumbag um, is all yeah let's, I, I want to be part of this yeah totally let's do it and then afterwards he's like maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I should phone the police yeah maybe you should have fucking phoned the police to begin with um, but yeah it's, 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 get it's, a porter and get that stopped for Christ's sake yeah excuse me Mr. Porter um, don't really want to upset you just now I know you're a busy man plenty of plenty of carriages here plenty of people asking favours from you however I would like to you know take your attention to the cart behind me here where these two women are being brutally raped by these psychopaths I mean like, I'm not saying you have to do anything right now but <laughs> you know it might be might, I don't know I don't know do you get paid to look you? on that Mr. Porter, you, me, a few other porters, some villagers with some fucking torches. <laughs> Let's get this handled. I'm not saying vigilante justice is the way forward. However, in extreme circumstances, that's eh, not a bad idea. Um, <laughs> and then that's a whole different movie. Uh, directed by a completely different director. But yeah, so that was uh, the last stop on the night train, a.k.a. Night Train Murders, a.k.a. Don't Ride on the Late Night Trains. Um, 
So that was one of my picks. Let's jump to one of yours and let's heavy hitter. Let's just get out of the way. We have to get out of the way. Um, I've spoken about this director ad nauseum on this show. We dedicated a whole round table to him, which is probably my favourite round table I have ever done on podcasts under the stairs. It lasted about five and a half hours. And we talked about this little guy called Cronenberg. Mr. Never heard of him. Cronenberg, who <laughs> kind of gets his first official start. I mean, he'd done a couple of short movies and, and, and things, but this his first movie comes out in 1975. It's this little movie called Shivers. Um, weirdly, <laughs> financed and produced by Ivan Reitman. <laughs> you know, well, it is a comedy, right? Of course, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's a comedy of sexual errors. Um, what, <laughs> what happens when you don't wear a condom? Um, oh yeah, yep, we've all been there, and sometimes the itching stops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the movie stars uh, Paul Hampton, Joel Silver, Lynn Lowry, and. Alan Coleman, the synopsis on IMDb is listed as the residents of a suburban high-rise apartment building are being infected by a strain of parasites, that's a strain, not strange, strain of parasites that turn them into mindless, sex-crazed fiends uh, to infect each other by the slightest sexual contact. Um, Original name for the movie was Blood Parasites, Uh, I'm quite glad they changed that. Uh, but it has <laughs> it has a different name depending on what territory territory you're in. Um, Shivers, I believe, is the UK name. Was this, it was different in America, wasn't it? Was it they? They come from within. They come from within. That's right. Was the yeah. original release title here? Yeah, weird that they. You know, once again, it's strange that they do that. Shivers will work better in <laughs> in, in the UK. Because when they hear that, they'll think my timbers like a pirate. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, this is a really fucking good movie. I've spoke about it, like I say, ad nauseum, uh, with a group of fantastic podcasters on the rim table, um, talking about how confident a first movie that this feels. Like Cronenberg is already at this stage, is like that, right? I've done my creepy lot of movies. I, I kind of have this idea of this thing that will eventually become body horror but it's, it's still it's still working in my head how I do this um, and you know I don't have a huge amount of money I've got like some money and I've got most of this money is being paid by the government which is kind of funny uh, so much so that he got hauled across the coals um, by people <laughs> basically saying you know the government uh, Mr. Mr. Canadian government you are aware you just helped give this man money to make filth on the screen and they were like uh yeah it's terrible and then the movie started doing really well and they were like it's awesome <laughs> give him more money let him make more movies um so yeah shiver i think shivers before i hand this over to you to talk about because i've never heard you speak about this movie i think shivers is a great movie i think it's it surprisingly holds up well i don't necessarily think you know, in the grand pantheon, if I was doing my top five Cronenberg movies, Shivers would make that top five. However, I think it's almost impossible to have a conversation about David Cronenberg, about 70s horror that doesn't include the title Shivers, because this one sets him apart from, it was like I was saying about this idea of the horror is, is not the, you know, the vampires and these monsters and all the rest the, the horror is man the horror is science the horror is sexually transmitted diseases uh, he <laughs> taps right into that really really quick uh, in a way which 
probably felt more pertinent in the 80s, uh, late 80s in particular, but he was already kind of putting his stamp down. And whilst you had the likes of, um, you know, when you had the likes of uh, Romero doing his work, Craven doing his, like, kind of take on, look how awful humans are, um, and look what we are doing to ourselves, and all the rest. We had this very unique Canadian voice, which was just going in a different way. Like, the horrors inside your body, uh, <laughs> you need to tear it out. Uh, which is, like, Cronenberg through and through. And that voice is surprisingly still as strong now, I think, as it's ever been. Um, what, what made you go, Shivers is on my list? Well, being released in 1975, this is the most innovative and inventive and just so goddamn strange film that was released this year. Mm-hmm. It is so different than anything else. I mean, you could just literally refer to this film as Night of the Living Rape Zombies, you know, because that's what it is. It's spread through sexual contact is one way to put it, but it's also unwanted and unwelcome the way that most of these things are because they're so voracious and just this entire group of people that end up working together where they all are having like this mass frenzied orgy at all times all around each other until they find something new which is an uninfected person and then they have to have them and knowing what they're about to do to you that they're not going to kill you but they're going to get infected in some way shape or form is just so much more terrifying than they're just going to kill you because they're literally going to fuck you to death. It's it's horrifying. Like this film leaves a mark on you when you start to really think about the connotations of what these creatures are going to do. And just the the one the one scene like the the most iconic scene of the kiss in the pool at the end where Lynn Lowry does is she's already infected and it's that one guy and he's running from this entire group and he's in the pool and then she just gets a hold of him. And it's this very sweet, very tender kiss that would be such a beautiful thing if it didn't mean that he was about to get fucked to death by a bunch of creatures. <laughs> you know, and and yes, they don't necessarily kill you. You don't necessarily die. But the person that you are is gone by the time they're done with you. And your body continues to live on and becomes another one of these rape zombies. So I would say that fucking you to death is a pretty good way to put it. And... How much more horrifying can that be to somebody than than just simply being ripped apart? Because eventually your nerves overload, your brain shuts down, and you go into shock. Whereas what these things are going to do to you, I don't think you're going to go into a shock. You're not going to get catatonic from it. You're just going to have all of these horrible sensations until you become infected. And then you're no longer you, but part of you is still there. Yeah, It's so bizarre. It's... I, there is something really like there are there are certain things I think universally that that affect all of us in terms of getting into the psyche, and I think that that David Cronenberg is very very good at doing that. Um, he's just really good at telling stories that just make you feel yucky, <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word, or shiver and fear <laughs> you know that kind of shiver <laughs> that runs down your spine aptly named for this movie but yeah he's, he's very good at doing that and and this movie taps into like really taps into that in a way which hadn't been done really before um and he obviously 
started expanding that out and without Shivers he certainly I don't think would have ever taken on a project like The Fly with the ferocity and the you know the special effects and the, the idea of you know some of the actual set pieces in there are born out of the work that he was already doing you know 10 years pr- you know prior um, kind of establishing his themes and his, his style and you're right in 1975 the the odd one out is shivers um and that's not a bad thing because uh, you need that to expand and push the the decade onwards and there are many people that saw cronenberg movies particularly from the 70s that really started changing the way they made their movies i, I think it's i think it's a, i think it's an incredible movie um like i say not my favorite cronenberg by any stretch of the imagination maybe not even in that top five but um, what it does have is a very unique voice and a voice that that stayed very relevant and um, in particular this genre uh, up until maybe like 10-15 years ago uh, but Cronenberg has went on to, to do different styles of movies and become prominent in those as well um, which speaks to the director I do have the most ridiculous love for David Cronenberg is that's actually scary. Um I just think the guy is a fucking genius. Um so yeah, that's a uh, Shivers, that's a strong I'm, I'm I'm not gonna lie. That one could be a contender. Just saying <laughs> could be a contender. Um but <laughs> there are so many more titles to discuss. So let's let's jump to another one of yours actually um because it would not be it would not be a top 10 show looking at the 1970s and talking about movies without talking about the lovely Edwidge Fennick, who has appeared uh-huh. by at this point, I think, three times now, maybe four. Um, dear God Almighty, be still my beating heart. This is Strip Nude for Your Killer, directed by Andre Benacci. Um, now, he is best known <laughs> for the wonderfully weird Burial Ground. Uh, and a lot of people would never think <laughs> that the Burial Ground director, Burial Ground came a bit later, it was like 1980, I believe. Um, a lot of people would not think, well, this guy did like this ultra sleazy, kind of very, very beautiful shot, Giallo. Surely not. Sure, that's not. Because <laughs> he did Burial Ground, which is totally not that. But yeah, that's what he did. Um, the movie stars Edward Fennec, um, Nino Castle Nuvio. Um, and Femi Benussi, I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, synopsis for this one. When a fashion model dies during an abortion, a series of murders begin, starting with her doctor. The next victims are connected to the modelling agency where she worked. Albatross, run by a hard-edged but jealous bisexual... <laughs> oh, I don't even know how you pronounce it. Gis- Gisela, uh, married to a frock-like dissolute. This is a very well-written synopsis. This is one that I didn't have a standard one, so I plucked it from one of the commenters. Uh, one suspect is Carlo. Oh, it's always a Carlo. A playboy <laughs> photographer who has a hot temper, don't they all, and refuses to share information with the police. I'm adding things in, by the way, just in case people are like, doesn't see that in IMDb. That's because I'm adding <laughs> in for comedic effect. Uh, it becomes a lover of Magda, uh, another photographer at the agency who probably is in danger. The murderer wears a black motorcycle outfit and helmet. Will anyone discover the murderer's identity before the entire agency dies? Well, they do because it's 
that sort of movie. Um, but mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that when this popped up on your list, I was like, really, Court? Really? <laughs> um, really? Because I had seen this movie quite a while ago, um, and I and I, 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 I want to say I saw it on a VHS rip back in the day. Um, I remember checking this movie out and and coming away with one vibe about this movie. I can't remember anything about it, but by God, those ladies are pretty and they get naked. <laughs> yep. um, I couldn't... I, re- I remember it being, like, in my head, I remembered it being a, a kind of semi-competent jallo. Uh, yeah, I used the word semi. You can have a giggle. Um, <laughs> I, I remember, you know, like... It, I, but the presiding sort of thought in my brain having you know watching it at that time just was there's a lot of naked women in this one there's a lot of bush a lot of 70s bush on display (laughs) in this movie um and as a result as my love for you know the italian jelly cinema has grown stripping in for your killer has never been one that i've been like oh i need to go back and see that one you know what i need to go back and see that one so when it appeared on your list i was like that Court's a bit of a deviant. Um, <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, I was like that. If, if he wanted me to see boobies, he could have just sent me to Pornhub. Um, there's plenty on there. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe not of the seventies variety, but I don't know. Maybe you never know. Um, or you know, www.findseventiesvagine.com or something like that. You know, um, I don't know. I, like that website. I'm buying is, that domain. <laughs> <laughs> you may want to consult the Baz. Um, maybe maybe be your artistic director on that one. Your quality control or something to check movies or not. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I was a bit taken back by this. Um, I, it obviously has a bit of a notorious reputation, but I didn't. It wasn't one that I was like, yeah, this is going to be... This is one of these ones that definitely would make a top five on my list. And then I watched it. And by God, have my tastes changed. Um, because and I wouldn't even say they've changed that much. It's just on rewatch of this one, it is a really, really well-made movie. Like, not only is it a really well-made movie, but unlike a lot of Jally of the time, the story is really good. And it's handled really well. Um, and for the most part kind of makes sense which is something which is a rarity within this particular subgenre it's usually style over substance um, but it's, it's done really well what I love about this one is that it is fully referential to the genre in which it lies in everything from you know bottles of J&B um, <laughs> through to, you know, iconic Italian scores and shots of architecture and all the rest, even down to the Black Glove Killer. But I love the fact that the Black Glove Killer becomes the black motorcycle outfit and the helmet in particular, which updates it, but updates in a way which, I mean, if you're savvy enough, you you will understand that the killer might be an inverse of what usually happens in a lot of these movies um, but at the same time as well I, having watched it um, again this morning but before we started recording what suddenly jumped to my mind is you know I, 75 was for all intents and purposes the beginning of the end for that, that genre people weren't going to see it as much as they had been by 76 it was all but dead um, except a certain director Mm. Um, has made that you know makes a movie in this particular year, which kind of makes people think, oh well, he's reinvented that again, but then steps away 
from doing those movies for a while, but the, the appetite starts to go. And what you start to find is very, very quickly that the kind of seedier edge, which had been planted like circa 69, 70, um, for, for how women were portrayed in these movies, uh, starts to get starts to go to the forefront. It's like now very much like slasher movies uh, did in the early 80s. How can we get these women out of their clothes? Um, <laughs> and that becomes a prominent theme um, in all those movies is how can we have like an extended shower sequence? Is that okay? In the case of this one, the I, I love this modeling agency guy who, who clearly he's like that. Oh, like, yeah, you need to work on your stomach. But uh, come with me to the sauna room. Right now, now get naked. Oh, look! Oh. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take some photos of you. And she's like, "But your camera's not working." He's like, and "Neither it is." Let me just take off my underwear, and then he just starts <laughs> plowing her. Well, there's another woman who clearly has been. She was the original interest. Is outside going. What's happening here? Uh, I thought you were supposed to. He's like, "Go away, woman! Can't you see? Can't you see? Carlo is busy." <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's it, it's a really interesting little thriller, and I think watching it back. What, what kind of stood out to me was the the story really works well and it actually holds up and I, my my big concern with that subgenre as a whole is that the things that tend to stand out and last the test of time are the way the film is shot or occasional performances or the score or a particular kill. People don't usually fall back on, well, that was a really good story, wasn't it? It, it tends to be the thing that you don't focus in on. But Strip Nude for Your Killer has a really good plot actually that I think holds up really fucking well so touche sir for picking this one <laughs> uh, and, and get me to force myself to watch a lot of naked Italian women walk about the place uh, in the 70s had, I know I'm so sorry a chore uh, but yeah what, what, what have you got to say for yourself uh, <laughs> and a uh, strip nude for your killer I think you actually nailed the you, you nailed it right on the head there where you said about it being a really well done story a lot of people reference how Hitchcock had such an influence on uh, not only Argento, but other filmmakers who were making Jally at the time. Whereas this film feels very much like an Agatha Christie straight up whodunit kind of yeah. storyline. But even if you figure out whatever it is that ends up being who the killer is partway through, at the same time, it then twists into sort of a revenge plot for you and the story works anyway. And so the way that the way that everything is set up is so wonderfully done. And also, I, okay, I know you're a huge fan of the Neon Demon, and everyone likes to give Argento credit for its influence on the Neon Demon. But when I see the Neon Demon, I see this film. I yeah. see so much influence from this film and the Neon Demon. Yeah, I think specifically the fact that um, it's, it's voice. Because the, the thing about what I like about this movie is it, it is looking at women... Like, you can look at it from a cynical point of view and say they are being, you know, exploitative of women to in this movie by saying, oh, well, they're fashion models, so this is our excuse to get them naked um, and all the rest. But uh, Edwidge Fenwick's character is a super strong character, powerful female character in this movie, I feel, um, which belies that point. You know, it, 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 it kind of is like people are saying one thing about that, but if you look a little bit beneath the surface, you see that actually, for the most part, none of these models are actually bimbos, you know, earheads or anything like that. Um, and some of their dialogue is really quite cool and the reveal ultimately of who the killer is in that kind of Agatha Christie 
Esque moment, which I think is probably I think she sometimes doesn't get enough credit. You know, a lot of people just go Hitchcock um, because you know Argento's called the Italian Italian Hitchcock, and everyone copied Argento, so everyone therefore copies Hitchcock. But they forget that a lot of these, a lot of the pulp novels in which these movies are based off of these yellow uh, cased books, these jallos. Uh, as were known over there, a lot of them are books written either by Agatha Christie or in the style of Agatha Christie. So yeah, it feels like that through here, and you get those scenes. Like I mean, Nicholas Winden Refn is a huge fan of this subgenre and a huge fan of this decade. That I'm with you 100%. Yes, it has moments of Suspiria and the Neon Demon. Yes, there are moments you're right out of an Argento or a Bava playbook, even Fulci. But yeah, there's no way you couldn't watch Strip Nude for Your Killer and say, well, I played a bit of an influence on that Neon Demon. Because it did. Can't, there's no way he could deny that. It's too, there are scenes that are too similar or themes that are too on the nose with both that has to be. Yeah, it feels like he almost did a remake of Strip Nude for Your Killer or like hung the framework around that and then threw in some very esoteric and uh, occult references to kind of not necessarily pad it out, but kind of increase parts of the story that we're missing. Mm-hmm. And and also the way that the men treat the women in Strip Nude for Your Killer, every single man in this film is a villain. Yeah. No one is, none of the men are good. Every single one of the women are basically being manipulated in some way, shape or form. But if you really kind of watch the way that they react to the situation, it's almost like they realize what's happening, but they're like, you know what? This is how my career is going to go. I'm going to make money off of these photos. Mm-hmm. I will let you feel like you're exploiting me, but in reality, I'm exploiting you, you pathetic little man. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. It's the, I, I, I think sometimes people don't like, um, you know, uh, she's only a stripper. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, look at her just like, but it, for, or, you know, she's only, you know, look at earhead model and all the rest. And then you think, well, I think she knows what she's doing and I think she knows how much money or commodity her body is and she knows how you know titillated by it that you will you know you will fall for what she says or maybe be influenced by what she says in one way or another and if that's what she needs to do to get your money out of you then more the fool you then than her Um, she's the one that's walking away with the cash Um, but I think also what the movie does really well and once again what it's like the same brain court um, <laughs> like the men are p- portrayed by villains but generally in in movies like this of this uh, genre um you tend to find that the movie tries to set up red herrings but it doesn't by making all men in this movie like skeevy and villainous um i don't think it totally distracts you into thinking i think it's like you know when you watch this movie i don't know if it's because i'm a bit long on the tooth um, or even the fact that I couldn't actually remember who the killer was in this movie until I watched it uh-huh. again, because um, all I could remember was boobies. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, watching it back though, I was like that. There's a very obvious reason why the killer is wearing a motorcycle outfit and you know a helmet. Um, and I'll, I will say no more about that. But there is a there's a very obvious reason they're doing that. And I think that the character trait is not to set up red herrings by making all the men villainous. It just speaks to the industry, which I think is really well done. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Like you said, hive mind brained again. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I brained again. Now, we are flying through these movies. People are hearing about some fantastic titles, maybe some they've never heard of before. Um, I would almost guarantee that very few people have seen this next one. Um, I picked it because... Uh, because I picked Trilogy of Terror and everyone was like that <laughs> Duncan you're breaking the rules and I was like I'm not breaking the rules what rules and they were like TV movies I was like Trilogy of Terror wasn't a TV movie um, it wasn't in the UK in the UK it was it was given a cinematic release um, mm. but over in the States where it was made for an American audience and that's the rule we go and release date in the country of origin and what it was intended to be it was a TV movie so yeah you win America. Congratulations. <laughs> Trilogy of Terror won't be talked about in this top 10. I hope you're happy. Um, so It should at least get an honorable mention because it is an amazing made-for-TV film. It's fucking brilliant. Like, had that been in here, you know, things would have got a little bit crazier. That's all I'm saying. Maybe I'm glad <laughs> that it was removed. So I decided to, to art the thing up, you know, make things a bit more artsy. I like doing that. Um, what is... <laughs> the beauty of having this great European cinema bevy um, on the table in front of us to, to gorge and feast ourselves on if we don't talk about about Jean Roland uh, who <laughs> made a lot of movies um, a lot of them have a kind of theme uh, you know movies by the title of such uh, great ones as The, the Nude Vampire um, <laughs> or Living Dead Girl who I also think is nude in that movie um, he was a very artistic Frenchman who enjoyed shooting the female form and very art house whimsical and often at times um, weirdly surreal, disturbing atmospheres. Um, his biggest criticism was that most of his movies didn't really make a whole hell of a lot of sense, but they were pretty to look at. Unlike, what? Yeah, when people, <laughs> when people were like... <laughs> Oh, jallies are all look at them they're all just like really well shot movies and oh a woman's getting murdered and all the rest ooh this yeah right I, I have said that the stories never really always make sense at the end but generally for the most part you can you can roll right through them feeling not like you're being tripped up or you've forgotten something or you blinked and missed something really important um, <laughs> but uh, Rollins movies are all like that really they, they don't tend to lean much in any way, shape, or form, into narrative. So much so that a lot of people think that this movie that we're going to talk about, Lips of Blood, uh, from the year 1975, um, is his most narrative movie, which, when you watch it, still says a lot about the director, in that <laughs> he doesn't really go his way to explain much in this movie. Um, <laughs> the movie stars Jean-Luc Philippe, uh, Annie Bell, Natalie Perrier, uh, and Martin Grimund. Um, I fairly sure that's not how you pronounce that but once again apologies to my many French listeners we love you viva la France um, I don't have any French listeners but if I, <laughs> if I did they'd be high-fiving themselves and like pow- proudly patriotically staring at their flag after that saying that Duncan is a cool motherfucker um, in truth I've been to Paris twice I was there when I was 19 and I genuinely thought Parisians were the most ignorant race on the planet uh, and then <laughs> really you have no fucking idea um, and then I was over for my honeymoon um, and I completely changed my opinion and it wasn't just because I was over for my honeymoon but France won me over when I was over the second time lovely people um, 
So there you go. I don't know why I'm saying all this. Anyway, just to make me, just to just to underline the point that I like France and I'm not a racist. Um, <laughs> so it's for this movie. Frederick sees a photograph of a ruined seaside castle, which triggers a strange childhood memory. Then he goes on a strange quest. I love the fact that we're just shoving strange in twice. Um, strange childhood memory, strange quest. Aided by four female vampires, that's a bit of a stretch, uh, to find the castle and the beautiful woman who lives there. Um, yes, now I picked this movie. This movie was on the short list of movies that could have made it in if there had been a technicality raised, which obviously was raised in unison by three of the five guests doing this, were like, uh -uh, can't do that. And I was like, oh no, right. I was like, well, let's do Lips of Blood. Um, and the reason I brought it in is because there is something weirdly unsettling about this movie to me. Now, it may not have been that way to you, Court. We will find out very shortly. But there is something weirdly unsettling about this movie. And I think it's all to do with the... The kind of, oh, kind of like, like everyone's fucking floating. No one seems to own a pair of underwear or a bra in this movie, and they all wear see-through tops that blow in the wind. So it's like, why do we even have tops? Just take the tops off them. Um, but but there are some great scenes of vampirism in this movie. I, I really like. This is coming off the back of um, Daughters of Darkness, nineteen seventy-one, which made a huge impact on the, the kind of more powerful female vampiric presence on the screen and really kind of set the... I think without something along the lines of Daughters of Darkness, you don't get a movie like Lips of Blood, even though it's like night and day in comparison to actual storytelling and a, and a lot of that. Um, I think there's some great shots in this movie of, of in particular, the twins who are really creepy together. <laughs> like, there's something quite unsettling about them, albeit strangely erotic. Um, it, I, honor. Yep, yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of... I don't know, the movie moves at an incredibly slow artistic pace and just every shot is like visual candy to me. Um, it's a bit absurd how it finishes, uh, but I think when talking about unique voices um, doing unique things in 1975 I think you could easily say that Shivers is the most unique horror movie that comes out that year in terms of just having a tone and a voice which is different but what I love the f uh, is the fact that uh, Jean Roland does a movie which is like a vampire movie is like vampire movies you've seen before but is not like any vampire movie you've seen before and he just doesn't give a fuck he really really doesn't there's lots of gothic architecture there's you know he, he kind of sticks to the mythology of vampires there's next to no dialogue in this movie at all so it really really lies on you know, uh, the shots themselves are what makes the movie and the, the ending is weirdly absurd, but in a way that I kind of love. Um, I'm going to say that you've probably never seen this movie unless you're going to completely surprise me. Uh, had you seen Lips of Blood? Yes. Now, I'm not a huge Rollin fan, but this happens to be one of the ones that I got my hands on through tape trading as well way, way back in the day. Nice, nice, nice. And, nice. and it was one of the ones that I watched because boobies. You know, that's yep. <laughs> I, I will not I will not deny that we're, we're a teenage boy who realizes that French films and foreign horror films contain 
copious amounts of beautiful bevy naked ladies you know mm-hmm. way to go thank you very much euro horror um now stepping back from that and more in my adult life and having boobs more at the ready to be able to see anytime i want with a touch of a finger onto a smartphone <laughs> i still enjoy this film but for a completely different reason and i don't dislike art films not in any way shape or form but it has to have a certain feel to it that will draw me in this sort of esoteric questioning what's going on but at the same time giving me these kind of reveals where my guesses feel like i'm headed in the right direction and that's one of the things that gene rollins films do really well i think he has that over jess franco who just zooms in on vaginas for the sake of zooming in (laughs) on vaginas now i don't want to you know and i mentioned that because they are cousins are they not uh, yes, I believe they are related, and, and it's yeah. quite. It's one of them. One of them. It's. It's that word ex- exploitation, isn't it? Like Jess Franco is the uh, exploitative director, and he revels in that. And fair play to him. That's his. That's his bread and butter, and he was very good at it. And towards the later part of his career, he just started doing softcore porn because he's like, ah, "Why hide it?" <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's well, not let's not try and be. T- but in his earlier days, he was doing stuff that was really quite interesting, um, and the same could be said for John Rollins. But I think his, I think I maybe let him off because he has that kind of autoristic sort of style in his movies that it doesn't feel like oh tits are on the screen, but look at everything else. And there are tits there, but look at everything. Look how that shot's composed. Look at the the light and look at the architecture in the background. How, where did they find this building? You know all these things that I can look at now. That certainly the first time I saw, it, I definitely was not thinking about. But um. <laughs> it's more esoteric. It's more ethereal, and it it has texture and feeling to it. The way that he composes his shots. Yeah. And I feel like Franco's stuff is very transgressive. Is the word that I would use. Yes. He's he's doing these artistic shots and he's forcing you to stare at, I don't know, like a shot of a sand flea, you know, just kind of crawling along for 15 to 20 minutes, you know, in his films. And then all of a sudden we're looking once again in parts of Linnea Romy that we really haven't seen up so close for the last 15 minutes in the film. But there we are again. Yeah. Whereas, whereas with Gene, uh, Gene Rollin, it's his, his filmmaking style where he, he focuses in on some of those same parts but it almost feels more like an artistic painting being laid out with a tableau where it's like, look at this goddess as opposed to look at this. You desire it, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> this is what you want. You know, like like Franco's very in your face and aggressive about this is desire. This is sex. This is wonderful. And then Jean Rollins like, isn't this quite lovely? <laughs> you know, that's that's the difference in their in their styles. And Lips of Blood is is probably, I would say, the most accessible of Rollins' films, which, like you said, it does have a a narrative that if you need to follow a narrative is the closest to something that you can actually follow. Yeah. And if if you if it's a good touchstone to get into this type of uh very sexualized art film of Euro horror, and if you can kind of get your way through Lips of Blood and go, okay. I'm into that. Let's see what else that's happening. Then you can kind of move from there into the more weird, esoteric, and non-linear narrative, to be polite, yeah. <laughs> that that ends up in his other films. Yeah, I think it's I, I, what I love about the movie as well is the fact that we, 
we are introduced to the character. Like I say, very little dialogue, but we're introduced to the character. He sees a picture and then this just triggers some sort of repressed memory that he then is compelled to solve. And it kind of feels like, on a lot, in a lot of respects, I used to love that. I'm going to probably get the name wrong, but it was a computer game back in the day. You'll know this. Uh, was it called Another World? Was it? That sounds familiar. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, where basically the opening scene is a guy working on like a machine and he puts a cartridge in and then the whole thing explodes and then he appears in a different, like in a, a different dimension, so to speak. And you're just flung into that. And um, the first screen you walk into, there's a creature that comes running at you and if you don't dump, jump over it, you die. Um, and it just kicks you back again to the beginning. And there's something about that sort of way of storytelling that I, I really I can't do much of it but I really like it in that you're flung into something no context no understanding let's go on a journey um, and you 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 are the story is unfolding to the character in a way which he doesn't fully understand you don't fully understand but we are continuing onwards Um and it does, it does actually have a surprisingly sweet ending, um, even though it's weird. Uh, but I, I think uh, when, when you're looking at like, the idea of the, the kind of European art house style of the, like, the 1970s, it's one of the better ones, I think, but it is so wonderfully shot. And, it, you know... Yeah, I have a lot of time for this movie. Uh, whilst I don't necessarily think it's going to make a top five by the time we whittle it down, I think <laughs> that even if I put this on the list and people go and check it out, and even if people come away and say, it's shite, Duncan, what were you doing? I feel that I have done justice by picking the movie to put on the list. Because not a lot of people talk about this sort of stuff. So it's good to make it there. I'll tell you what a lot of people talk about. Um, they talk about it a lot. Uh, I hear them talking about it. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> do we really need to talk about dun 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 dun? So let's do it. Let's <laughs> get <laughs> dun 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 dun. Oh, let's let's get this. Thing. Let's get the heavy hitters out of the way here. Jaws. That's right. The movie that coined the term summer blockbuster. Sixty-five million people plus went to see this movie in the USA. When it was I think released, we need a bigger podcast. We are going to need a bigger podcast. It's fucking insane. This is the movie that changes the changes the paradigm of cinema moving forwards. People are like that. We can shove this huge movie out when people are on you know on public holidays or bank holidays or national holidays, like holiday weekends. We can put these movies out. And people will go and see them at summer when the kids are off school, and you know we put these out. And families will go and see move in droves. They'll go and dro- they'll come to the cinema. You see to watch a movie. You mean what? Um, <laughs> which is exactly what happens. And yeah, I could be cynical and say that if it wasn't Jaws, then you know a year later another movie would take this place. It kind of felt like the cinema going public were looking for the movie to say, right, this is our champion. This is the movie that I want. You know, the, the, I want this big movie, which is going to be the, the the kind of the flagpole in which our year is going to be based around. This is the movie we're going to be talking about for the rest of the year. 
Uh, it is no surprise to me that Steven Spielberg would be the guy behind that. Um, I mean, he's a one and done director. Only did Jaws disappeared after that. No great movies. Uh, no yeah, legacy, weird, like, huh? Strange, strange. <laughs> uh, there is a rumor that still flies around to this day, but you've never heard of this one. That um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind was actually directed by Tall Pooper. So there you go. <laughs> Just saying, just saying. Uh, no, so Steven Spielberg, obviously, um, this is the movie that puts him on the map. Um, like, literally puts him on the map. He wasn't exactly the most bankable name before this. Had done some pretty cool stuff. We had had huge debates um, in our message chat about the validity of putting Jewel on the list but uh, once again Jewel was released in the UK as a movie and America was released as a TV movie crazy Americans no wonder no one was going to the cinema like put ah. a, make, make Spielberg do this great movie and then release it on TV <laughs> um, for future lists to be destroyed um, so yeah the 70s uh, were a great decade for TV movies as well they were and you could almost run a top 10 list of just TV movies and I think it would be just as entertaining I think there's some great titles and you forget once again that your likes of your Steven Spielberg's your John Carpenter's all did TV movies um, in, the, in the 1970s just some really really creepy weird things that, that made their way into TV you know, and they're more unsettling probably because they were on TV and you just expect a filter which wasn't there um, <laughs> so yeah this one Steven Spielberg kind of puts this one out it's a nightmare for him to get out. The production does not go at all according to plan. Um, his his robotic... Sh- and everything that fails in this movie benefits this movie. It's one of those weird... <laughs> like, one of those weird experiences. I, I think particularly for this director where he starts to realise what he can do with cinema and not props. Um, so the shark, the infamous shark, breaks many, many times. Um, so they don't get nearly as many shots as they want with it. So you see a lot of people getting attacked by nothing, by a camera, <laughs> essentially. That's terrifying. Um, the, the, the iconic story of John Williams sitting Spielberg down and letting him hear the theme and Spielberg laughing and saying, right, that's, that's pretty cute, right, but what's the real theme? <laughs> you know, what, what's your theme? Um, and Spielberg then later admitting that uh, you know, without that, without that score, the movie probably wouldn't have been as big as it was, or as iconic. Wouldn't have been as terrifying, um, and his career would not be anywhere. John Williams was behind that. The fact that you have um, a great cast uh, in Rob Schneider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus, this this trinity of men who all come from completely dif- different backgrounds, um, who all kind of on some level don't exactly see eye to eye with each other I mean in real life Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss hate each other um, and, <laughs> I, and in a lot of respects you could argue that their performances on screen reflect that and it really once again this sort of thing that just works for the benefit of the, the movie the synopsis is if I need to do this uh, a great <laughs> white shark or a giant great white shark arrives on the shores of a New England beach resort and wrecks havoc with bloody attacks on swimmers until a local sheriff teams up with a marine biologist and an old seafarer to hunt the monster down. Um, yeah, I've joked a lot about this movie for weeks now. 
I keep saying that this is such an unpredictable top 10 that there's a very good chance that Jaws might not go through. <laughs> and it was to highlight the point. wasn't to actually say I didn't think Jaws would go through, but was to highlight the point that there could be this super popular title that people just think is a given. But depending on what the competition is from that year, depending on what my guest and what I think, and how it's argued, titles like Jaws not, might not make it through. That being said... Jaws is one of the finest horror movies ever made. I very <laughs> I very seldom use the word masterpiece, but if I ever was to use the word masterpiece, there are a select few films that would retain that accolade, and Jaws is certainly on that list. I think it's fantastic. I think it's, it just is... And it holds up, that movie. And I think it's because you don't see the shark that much. Uh, had we seen a lot of 70s animatronic shark throughout this movie, this movie would have been dumb really, really quick. Um, and it would have it would have been a B movie and not an A movie. Um, but but the fact that it's that you get this very strong um cinematography, very strong voice and very strong direction from Steven Spielberg with these really great performances. Robert Shaw's Quint has some of the most haunting uh, haunting dialogue ever recorded on movies when he's talking about you know the the boat going down and him and the men being picked off by shot it's it is chilling bone chilling um it is an incredible fucking movie that one day we'll get a full review on the podcast under the stairs but because we're constrained from time i'm going to hand over a court uh so is this one pretty much a given then <laughs> it's really, really going to be hard to argue against pushing <laughs> Jaws forward. It redefines horror. It totally does. It, there's there's horror up to the point where Jaws was not released, and then there's horror after it. It, it changes everything when Jaws comes to fruition. It becomes this juggernaut that is unstoppable, and it's a series, the, the film itself is a series of happy accidents and overcoming, improvising and adapting and just kind of working your way through and realizing your final story in the edit. I mean, really, the film came together in the edit. They figured out a way to have the shark on screen for a certain number of frames, because if they went past that, if they showed the shark for more than a certain number of frames, it became obviously a mechanical shark and it was less terrifying. And there are still scenes in this movie, not just when uh, Brody is, is chumming the water and then the shark pops up, which still makes everyone jump to this day. Like my wife and I were watching this earlier in the week prepping for this show. And, uh, you know, I know it's coming. I know it's going to happen. <laughs> like the music's there. And that's, you know, you just, you know, it's going to happen. But every time that that fucking shark pops up out of the water, you still go, fuck. Yeah. Every time. I don't care who you are. That works on you. Uh, another scene that's like just so memorable that just grabs you right by the short and curlies and terrifies you is in the scene where the kids are in sort of the wading pool uh, alcove area where they get to ride on their boats and everything like that. And you see the shark swim just underneath the boat for that one little kid to go to the other guy. It's just horrifying you see it and i remember looking at it watching it this time around and still going oh jesus christ <laughs> you know and it's just long enough it's just a long enough flash on screen and it it hits that primordial part of your brain where uh and to to use quince talk yeshi into a chaish 
dead black eyes, a doll's eyes. And you're just you're just like, Jesus, get away from me. Get this thing away from me. <laughs> I'm not you sleeping know? tonight, Quint, thanks. <laughs> right. You know, it's you just totally everything about this film works and the if we just step away from the horror aspect of it for a moment, which I know we're both loath to do, just the storyline of the characters alone, the friendships that develop between Quint and Hooper and Brody on the ship after the first night of or the first day of trying to get at the shark and hunting it down. And they're sitting around the table getting drunk and just kind of hanging out right after he tells the story, right after they do the they start showing the scars, you know, they, they have that sh- the scars game. And they're all sitting there and they sing, show me the way to go home. If you don't love all three of those men as characters and want to see them succeed and be happy and and not get hurt by the time they're singing that song, you have no soul and you should not be watching film because they become so endeared to you there. And you're just like, you guys have a mission that you need to succeed on. And it's it's classic storytelling. It's it's new innovative ways of doing horror all just wrapped into this one giant package that literally deserves to become the first blockbuster because it does do something completely different and horror was never the same we want to talk about ripoffs that the italians and and euro horror and everyone else has done jesus even grizzly is basically let's find a way to put jaws on land you know and i love grizzly don't get me wrong but like <laughs> everybody and their brother tried to make this same formula work in decades to come from this film being released it kicked off the animals attack genre like nothing else yeah in the late 70s early 80s you cannot discredit jaws in any way shape or form even if you wanted to i came on the show like i was ready to be like you know when i was getting ready and prepping and watching this i'm like all right I'm going to sabotage Jaws. I'm going to do the asshole thing. You know, I'm going to make sure that Jaws doesn't go through. I'm going to try and find a way to argue up all the other ones. And then I watched Jaws and I'm like, okay, I got to find something to nitpick. I got to, I got to, I, I, I give up. You win. Spielberg, you win. Jaws has to move forward, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty fucking incredible movie. Like I say, I, I feel, I feel somewhere down the line that I think I've, I've kind of got I've got I've got loads of different ideas always kind of going around in my head that's just the life of a, a like a podcaster and it's constantly thinking of content um, I, I can see the Jaws franchise and another short franchise being smashed together for another teapot's Russian roulette so I, I get the feeling that at some point like it's a movie that needs to be discussed at length we just don't have the time to do it which is which is a shame but I need to pull us away from this. I need to pull us away and I need to go for a, a movie which is of equal, if not greater, stature. We will not spend long on this one either. Let's talk about Don't Open the Door, a.k.a. Don't Hang Up, directed by <laughs> the master of terror cinema, S.F. Brimrig. Um, Are sarcasm. you being facetious there? Just, yes. Okay. Just okay. a bit. Just a <laughs> bit. Bit. Just a bit. <laughs> Note to myself: cancel portrait tattoo of SF Brimrig on back. Right, that's, that's <laughs> back piece is scratched off. Not happening now. Uh, right, this movie stars Susan Bracken, Larry O'Dwyer, Gene Ross, and James N. Harnell. Um, synopsis for this one listed on IMDb is. 
in this horror movie, just making sure that you know it's a fucking horror movie, in this <laughs> horror movie, a dutiful granddaughter goes home to take care of her elderly grandmother. Once there, she finds herself trapped inside the house with a homicidal maniac. Now, I will tell you why it made this list, because once again, there are people that will be saying, wait one second, wait one second, Duncan, there are other titles here to be taken into consideration, and rightly, me and uh, Court were talking off air about some of the potential titles that could have made their way to the list. Now, one of them, which I see on many, many lists, and is slightly perplexing, but then again, I've argued for a lot of murder mysteries to be on these thus far, um, is a Picnic at Hanging Rock, which is an incredible movie. I love that movie, like, so much. Um, but to me, it's a it's a drama. It's, it's not there's you know there's a couple of scenes which maybe lean, like like when I say lean, I mean like slightly tilt um, <laughs> and, and give a, a, a respectful nod to maybe some genre cinema. But I, I think it's difficult to argue that point. Um, another one which I know people about. Why are they not talking about uh, that movie? Leaves everyone with a shit eating grin. Uh, Salo, the hundred and twenty <laughs> days of Sodom. <laughs> Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's a horror movie either. People may want to argue with me about that one. I don't. Yes, the events in it are unpleasant to watch, but I don't think, I don't think it's a horror movie. So that's why it didn't make it. Uh, and then I looked at some of the other titles, and there was a few that I could have picked, but none of them were really selling it to me. And then I was like, that actually, I have seen Don't Hang Up, aka Don't Open the Door, and I remember there's a couple of pretty creepy scenes. Uh, involving a guy who is not too dissimilar to the killer and maniac um, with his penchants, the things that he quite enjoys doing. So let's uh, let's talk about this movie now. What I kind of feel like everything I suggested you'd seen, Court, which is weird. Had you seen this one? No, this is the first one so far that we've talked about that you suggested that I had not seen until you you put it on the list. Ah. Not even heard of it. Had not even heard of it until now. It's, it's, you know, it's a shame. It's almost like Brown Rig went off into obscurity. Um, it's really <laughs> it's like he did. <laughs> yeah, much like he did. Um, what did you make of it? Did, did you, like, for a start, because there's a very good chance I'm going to suggest a movie here that you've not seen. Uh, and you said that you watch it like that. Has Duncan lost his mind? Um, <laughs> why is this on the list? Now, I never, I will never say that I am purporting this one to be top five material, but I think it's worthy of discussion. Because it's very low budget, and I think actually does quite a lot for its low budget. Um, what did you make of it? Uh, just from going f- from what I could tell from looking at it, you can tell that it's an extremely low budget film, and yet it manages to get some very serious Italian-inspired, masterful shots worked into the film for little or no money. Yeah, it, you, you can almost tell where it's like, okay, they probably have some kind of weird camera rig held together by like duct tape and super glue but they got this shot you know <laughs> like you could just kind of tell the, the way that it's put together uh plot wise it was a little difficult to kind of follow what's going on a little bit until things start to really come to a head and it felt more like something was missing in the version that i saw now i was under a time crunch so i grabbed a version that i found on youtube for this oh right. i kind i kind of want to see an actual complete version, like a, a, what I know to be a complete and 
uncut, you know, full version of what the director would want. I'm interested in seeing that. But what I did see on the don't open the door here was it felt uh, incomplete. It really did. I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> yeah, like I felt like something was missing. Which I think you. I think to be fair, I think you've seen the version that exists. Uh, this one is unlikely to ever be picked up by a Screen Factory. I don't think um, Arrow will not be beating down the door. Um, funnily enough, because if they did, no one would open it. Because that's the name of the movie. Um, so. <laughs> um, yeah, as not as like narratively speaking. Once again, I, I think sometimes I don't know if it's because I have a love of cinema that doesn't always fully rely on narrative. Uh, that sometimes I can be like that. Right, this bit doesn't make sense, but how does it? How do I feel watching it? Um, and the the character played by Larry O'Dwyer is just. It's so over the top and so disconcerting when he when he allows himself to become that kind of sleazy, creepy presence. Um, with that, the, the, the kind of heavy breathing, the giggling. Um, the ending is is nuts. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it feels abrupt. It feels you know ill conceived. It feels very much. At times, like I'd like a put. I'm glad that you actually mentioned like Italian cinema. It owes a lot to it, but it's like someone has tried to do what these guys were doing with a lot of money, but in America and not having that money. You know that money's not going as far yeah. because there isn't an industry already set out to benefit people working together and all the rest. So it just kind of feels like he it loses it. Um, the 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 pacing in it is not great at all, actually. Um, nope. It's a very, very, very slow one. Um, the, the granddaughter herself doesn't actually even really seem all that interested in her grandmother at all in the movie. Um, <laughs> but like I see, there's there's something, like when we talk about iconic killers or iconic villains in cinema, um, what makes them iconic? I mean, the movie themselves might not be great, but the, the presence of a killer or presence of a psychotic nature in a movie can, you know, can stay with you after the movie finishes, and it's something you can pin your coat on. Um, and I like the killer in this one. Uh, I think whilst you don't get the full the full amount of psychosis that you really want, I, I think, considering the movie cost, it, it is, like, we're talking, like, thousands and not like millions here um surprise surprise um i think it I, th I think it handles it quite well the the violence as well is fairly it's not it's not prominent it's fairly subverted but i think in doing that as well in, in certain sequences working with what they have they they manage to pass it through it's not one i would say rush out tomorrow and see you need to see this movie uh, once again the the when you have a year which is so all over the place with different styles and different stories it is good when creating it's very much like a mixtape court and um, when you're creating that mixtape <laughs> you want to try and hit certain high notes you want to kind of bring things down and move forward with other ideas or different styles or tempos or paces this one has a very deliberately slow pace and it doesn't really have the greatest payoff but I think there are some things in this one um, even down to, you know, uh, like, uh, Larry uh, O'Dwyer's character, kind of the way he interacts with mannequins as well before you get movies like uh, like Maniac, um, I think is quite interesting. And I'm not saying that Maniac ripped it off. It's quite interesting. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It's quite <laughs> interesting. Or even when you look at something like Tourist Trap, um, 
it's quite I was going to mention that. Yeah, it's yeah. quite interesting. I, I'm not saying, once again, stressing, not saying that they copied. I'm just saying that there are elements in here, that kind of creepy weirdness of the 1970s, where you can do these movies, and they just feel so left field. And this one has got a couple of interesting discussion points, but we will not hang around it much longer. We will move on, because there are other things to discuss, like uh, this little this little one here, which I get the feeling may have been a bigger movie had it not come out one week after Jaws. Um, <laughs> the movie is called Race with the Devil, directed by Jack Starrett, who's more notably known as an actor than a director. Um, the movie stars Peter Fonda, uh, Warren Oates, Loretta Swift, Laura Parker and R.G. Armstrong. The synopsis, two couples vacationing together in an RV from Texas to Colorado are terrorised after they witness a murder during a, wouldn't you guess it, a satanic ritual. It was the 70s, that's yep. what people did. Dotted all around America, just every, if you're driving in an RV, chances are you're passing Satan. Um, Satan is a busy man between Texas and Colorado. He's a, he's a busy man, he's just like, rounding up his followers sacrifice people to me please I don't know why the devil kind of sounded like a modified James Mason but we'll go with it um, <laughs> that's yeah. how I picture the devil that's how I do as well yeah oh, the, the master oh the master is coming for you yes. um, that's it. back shaman back holy man back priest I am satan um, don't know why anyway let's see uh, so some synopsis about this one uh, like, I remember the first time I saw this movie people may be looking at their devices saying why the fuck is Race with the Devil on this list it's an action movie well that's debatable it does have you know killing groups of people and Satan so you, you might want to move that one in there it's as a horror movie as many of the Hammer movies of the same time period so mic drop Um <laughs> I remember the first time I saw this movie, I fucking hated it. Uh, there's an obvious reason why I hated it, because in my head they killed a dog. Don't kill a fucking dog. And it actually looked like they killed a real dog. It wasn't until years later that I found out there wasn't a real dog. Um, I found that it was a dummy, which turns out isn't right either, because according to IMDb, it is a real dog. Which when I first read it, I was like, I hate this movie again, it's coming off the list. But no, it's not really. It's a drug dog. They drugged the dog heavily and then hung it. Uh, and then brought by down unharmed, apparently. Which seems a long way to do something, so they must have tranked it. Give it a wee tranquilizer, then hung it, and then we're like, oh, look, it's dead, and then brought by down. Weird. The 70s were weird, man. Um, <laughs> uh, Jack Starrett replaced the original director, Lee Frost, uh, when Fox head Alan Ladd Jr. was unsatisfied with the dailies, uh, and most of the footage was reshot by Jack Starrett. Um, I kind of love this movie. I think it is one of those weird, like, 70s road movies where they just, like, what, how can we we'll make a road? Yeah, let's make another road movie. Can we, what will we do this one? Satan? Yeah, oh, Satan? Yeah, Satan? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do Satan. Um, I mean, obviously, the Manson family murders still very much in people's minds, that idea of Satan, um, very much prevalent. Um, movies like The Exorcist had become financially viable Rosemary's Baby, we're talking about Satan y'all um, but there, <laughs> there are other movies out of the same time period like The Car you know, gets uh, you know, gets lumped into genre discussions as well 
Um, and that's because it's another road movie, which is, you know, they're taking it in a different direction. Um, but I kind of love this movie. Um, what do you think? I mean, this movie, ideally, with names like Peter Fonda behind it, would have been bigger. But, you know, when you're coming out a week after Jaws and 65 million plus people have been out to see that movie and are still going to see that movie, kind of difficult to sell your RV Devil movie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> kind of difficult to sell an rv devil movie anyway i would say (laughs) no it it combines some of the things that everybody has really kind of come to love of the horror genre from the 70s i mean this feels like you know you you take uh the hills have eyes you remove the cannibalistic inbred uh radiated monster family in the desert you insert satanist because the exorcist and the uh you know the omen and all that stuff is kind of hot at the time so let's let's throw some devil stuff in there they have these guys out on hot you know motorbikes uh out there in the the desert land or whatever come across accidentally seeing a satanic ritual and then the people chase them down because they're trying to get rid of the witnesses and it becomes this sort of almost like a dual terrifying road movie where they're being pursued relentlessly by these people who want to have them dead and they're dragging a camper behind them so it makes it that much more difficult for them to get away there's a lot of stuff in this film that is very deeply rooted in the 70s horror genre and you can't deny that and i don't think that i would consider this an just an action film because if you're going to do that then you would consider jaws just an action film you know yeah (laughs) i know i know (laughs) That's the way that I look at it. There's a lot uh, of people that would make... There's surprisingly many people actually go down that road of saying, well, Jaws isn't a horror movie. You're like, really? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a common school of thought. And I, well, I've never been one to, to, to kind of almost Bible bash my opinion from a, a pulpit on, on people and say, listen, it's my, I am the way <laughs> and you will listen to what I... I'm not like that at all. If Jaws is not a horror movie to you, Jaws is not a horror movie to you. But... Um, by claiming it's not a horror movie, that's your preference. Factually, that's inaccurate. It is, it is a horror movie. It's, it's released as a horror movie. Um, the director says it's a horror movie. The people of the time that saw it said it was a horror movie. It was reviewed as a horror movie. Now, whether or not it's scary now, that's beside the point. I've watched the original Dracula. No one is going to tell me that Universal's Dracula is not a horror movie. Mind-numbingly <laughs> boring as it is. It's still a fucking horror movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, when they actually view this satanic ritual, if you're not at least a little bit uncomfortable when you're watching this, yes, it's a little dated, but the way they're holding the woman aloft, the the naked woman, and throwing her up in the air almost, and then bringing her down, and then you're just kind of like, what the hell, what the hell, and then the stab happens. Even though some of us may be a lot more educated in the way that this type of thing would roll out in a satanic ritual in a horror film because this is clearly not an actual ritual of any sort not that i really know anything about that i'm just saying (laughs) kind of seems like you want to distance yourself a bit too quickly from that court uh yeah we're going to pretend like i don't know anything about these esoteric (laughs) things but in the film whenever they're doing this and the people don't know what's going on and you're looking at it from their perspective if you can tell and you know what's about to happen and you know what these people are doing in this ritual and then their shock and and their fear that ends up happening from witnessing that 
and then they end up pretty much giving themselves away and that's what leads to this pursuit those scenes very firmly root that in horror as far as i'm concerned and even though the rest of it is them literally running for their lives they're being pursued by satanists who then use supernatural means that very clearly puts it firmly in the horror genre supernatural terror come on it's yeah. there yeah you have no arguments from me there that's why i put it on the list no arguments and i totally me. agree i totally agree i concur it should be there right now we have three movies left to discuss all three of them are <laughs> people are gonna be sick of me saying this this run all three <laughs> of them are that they are jello movies they are a collective group of jelly by three prominent directors of the genre so um we will we will fly right through these three uh, once again there's so much italy just now and i'm afraid that like it's going to continue because the 70s were the renaissance of italian horror and genre cinema um so let's uh you have two so let's pick off one of yours so yeah let's let's get this one out of the way um you chose this one yeah. uh, it's called eyeball I thought to myself, I've seen this movie before, um, <laughs> saw it many moons ago. I don't think I like this movie. Um, and I think I unfairly at the time lumped it in because it's directed by Umberto Lenzi, who is a guy that I used to think was a pretty great hack of a director. Um, most notably, everything I'd seen by the man had came out after movies which he was obviously influenced is the word we're going to use by um, <laughs> now he's a plagiarist let's be honest yeah, he really is I mean the first movie I ever saw by Umberto Lenzi was Cannibal Ferox now I saw it in 2001 right after I'd seen Cannibal Holocaust which had been re-released and uh, apparently uncut which was still cut in the UK because it is still cut in the UK um, you know right after that going oh well he, and then you know going he clearly He's clearly just ripped off this. Oh, it's one year apart. Clearly ripped it off. But there, there are other <laughs> movies in there as well. Um, you know, Nightmare City feels like has has kind of run at some of the Filchy stuff. Um, you know, it, but then you do a bit more research and then you actually start to realise that, um, you know, Lindsay was a bit of a hack. It also precedes things as well. Like, Eaten Alive was made the year before cannibal holocaust was made yep and it's an yeah. italian cannibal movie and there's a lot in that that is quite similar to uh diodato's you know version he uses a lot of it he basically copies it when he makes ferox in a, a lot of respects but you know it came out before um and it's not even just that this guy was making jallos um back at the very start of when yeah. Argento was making Jallos, you look at something like uh, Slow, So Sweet and So Perverse, um, Spasmo, Seven uh, Bloodstained Orchids. Yeah, yeah. So the guy, the guy is, but by this point, 1975, is already more than just a well-established director with like maybe 20 plus movies under his belt of all different genres. He's churning them out. He's a fucking machine um, of making movies and this one lands you know smack dab 1975 it's eyeball coming back to watch it i the the, the longer time has went on the more i've grown to like Lenzi's stuff uh, i think spasmos are wonderfully underrated um 
Jallo movie. I think Seven Bloodstained Orchids are as well, as well as So Sweet and So Perverse. I've actually really grown to like Cannibal Ferox. Um, it's fucking silly as balls, but I, I, there's, <laughs> there's something immensely entertaining out with the once again the animal violence and animal cruelty in it. There, there's a lot to there's a lot to just kind of laugh and giggle at. And even the Baz watch Baz prefers Ferox to to Holocaust, which is wrong. Baz, I know you're listening. That's wrong. Uh, but you know. That's fine. That's your opinion, but it's the wrong opinion. Um, so it's what, a little sleazier than Holocaust in certain ways, so. which is kind of like Baz. Really, he's just, yeah. he's just a little sleazier <laughs> than everyone else online. Um, but yeah, coming back to watch this one, I fucking loved this. I had so much fun with this movie. Um, the 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 story is batshit crazy, but <laughs> and the reveal is nonsense, but. <laughs> It's kind of difficult not to get behind the nonsense. Like like I said, when you are at this stage so close to the end of the heyday of the Jally, um, the movies that stand out are the movies that are willing to take the risks. And Eyeball takes a lot of risks. Um, you basically have, according to the synopsis, a, a maniac killer in a red cape and hood is killing off American tourists on a tour bus by gouging out their eyeballs so basically little red riding hood is rushing about the place cutting cunt's eyes out um, <laughs> for for what is seen to be no particular reason but then revealed at the end in, in a wonderfully bizarre way um, yeah I fucking love this one I love the fact that they're like that nah fuck black gloves he's they're gonna have red gloves in this movie uh, I, love the, <laughs> I love the fact that you know it, it, it's all done with a switchblade as opposed to your open blade razor or something a bit more no it's all flick knife let's do this um i i love some of the, the i mean there's there's obviously there's a bit of money here but there's not a huge amount of money um so most of the mutilations are done by someone turning away or off camera uh, which is fine with me I, I can live with that by 75 they were doing a lot more graphic stuff but i love the fact that Lindsay he would usually exploit that is not exploiting that um cinematography is beautiful uh, I love some of the sets, some of the historic scenes that they're, you know, sites that they're, they're at are brilliant. Um, I think the acting is super strong in this one as well. I felt like all the characters felt fully formed, which is a novelty um, in some of these movies. And Lindsay clearly is, you know, the safe stalwart pair of hands to 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 bring this movie over. <clears throat> uh, we have uh, Martine Broduch, uh, John Richardson, and Ennis Pellegrini. Are, are the cast um, safe to say this must have had an impact on you at some point probably back in the day when you saw it um, is this one that you've returned to many times and that's why it made the list or is this one that just had an impact that when you saw it you were like oh yeah well ofs <laughs> this was a I think it got released in Laserdisc ages ago here in America and it's never gotten anything since um, I have a Laserdisc player and that's how I had seen it. Um, I bought a bunch of laser discs whenever they became out of fashion from a gentleman who was a collector. And Eyeball is one of those films where it just kind of draws you in and I, it makes you feel almost like you're one of those tourists as you're there with them. Um, I, I enjoy the group. I like the dynamic of the people that are there. And instead of having one detective trying to figure out everything who's like in most Jalas, you have one person who's kind of framed and then has to prove their innocence or is some way, shape or form is involved in the killers after them. So they have to find them before they get them. 
you have an entire group of people who are all potential victims and they have to work together to try and solve it and you see almost like this again we're back to agatha christie but you have like a sort of 10 little indians thing almost going on yeah. on the bus you know or, or it even feels like uh you know one of the kind of you know they're trapped on this tour bus and so you know it has that very agatha christie feel there too for the orient express yeah definitely and and little 10 little Indians mixed together and they have to work together and yet they all can't really stand each other and they're always constantly bickering and arguing but at some point they find a way to kind of come together and try and figure it out and the idea of the kill and the reason that the killer is doing what they're doing is just so far from left field that it sticks with you yeah and plus well the effects are you know like the actual eye removals are not that well shown the leftover bodies where you see the the trauma from where the eyeball has been removed and and there's you know the blood and, and little bits of grue that are, are stuffed around these actresses eyes once they're killed that's very visceral and it, it it does stick with you as far as i'm concerned and it's just this really unique and fun film and i think a lot of people discount Lindsay because of the later hack almost plagiaristic years that he had but at this point in 75 and before in his career, he was a very respectable filmmaker. His Jolly are some of the best work that he has ever done. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like at this point he ends up giving up after Eyeball because you just kind of see him start doing all the workman director stuff that a lot of the other Italian guys do. And I love Fulci, don't get me wrong, but that guy was totally an, an, a workman director. He took whatever came his way. He put his own spin on a lot of stuff, but... There are certain times where you see people like Fulci or even Lindsay where they're trying and they really feel passionate about a project and you can kind of see that influence there and that that feel and that love. And then there's other times when they don't have that and they're very clearly just putting it together to make the money to to have the job. Yeah. And this an eyeball feels to me like the last point. It's like the last time that Lindsay had that passion. And I feel like it just comes through and that's what keeps me coming back to this film. There we go. Could not have said it better myself. Could not have said it better myself. Right, um, we have two left to talk about. I, I get the feeling one's going to get a lot more discussion than the other <laughs> one. Um, so let's do the one with lesser discussion first. Um, this was one of my picks. Uh, this one is The Killer Must Kill Again by director Luigi Cosi. Um, he of Contamination fame, fucking love Contamination. <laughs> Talk about just balls to the wall fucking nonsense. That movie ticks all the boxes. Uh, the movie stars George Hilton. Um, we have uh, Antonine St. John, who most people may know as the painter from The Beyond. Uh, right yep. at the start. Uh, Femi Benussi and Christina Galbo, I'm going to go with that one once again. Apologies to my Italian listeners. Uh, synopsis for this one. Uh, Giorgio is a greedy adulterer who makes a deal with a serial killer to dispose of his wealthy wife, Nora. Unfortunately, a thrill-seeking young couple steal the car with Nora's corpse in the trunk, ending up at a run-down seaside villa. Um... I kind of love this movie. I am not the biggest fan of Luigi Cosi. He is another one who made a, a semi-successful career off the back of basically copying people. Um, he is a huge Argento fan and made 
a lot of money off Argento. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so much so that yeah. he actually runs a shop in Italy that you can visit called Profondo Rosso. It's a museum. It's a Dario Argento museum. He did a documentary on Argento. Um, he did the unofficial third part of The Three Mothers. <laughs> The black cat, right? Yeah, fucking <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Um, yeah, so so he's you know he's he's a bit of a plagiarist. However, once again, that does not necessarily mean that they don't have moments of genius. And the killer must kill again is genius to me. It, if we've been talking thus far about Agatha Christie being an influence on these ones, and then we were trying to not necessarily downplay the Hitchcockian feel or something, this is Hitchcock. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, like, the front and centre, it's making no, like, airs or graces about this one. This this guy hires a killer that he he sees disposing of a body and blackmails him, basically saying, listen, I saw you do what you're doing, which I love as well. He's, like, sitting down with this killer. Who could kill him? But he's like, that, listen, yeah. you know, I don't have a mobile phone because they've not been invented yet, so I'm in peril. <laughs> in fact, I just realised by saying that to you, you could now kill me. But let's, shh, don't say a word. Just put his hand on his lip. Shh. <laughs> that, I, I saw you dispose of a body I have also seen your <laughs> your lighter which let's be honest that's not a point but they try and make it a point which does come up later on but it's, it's tenuous at best you know listen I, I could I could go to the authorities or you could do me a favour and this guy's like well, well what do you want he's like that well all I'm asking you to do is do what you do um, and I want you to get rid of my wife Um and this guy, perfectly cast, that Anton St. John looks like the walking embodiment of a skeedy serial killer. Fucking love it. Um, does that very thing. He abducts his wife, kills her, stuffs her in the back of the trunk. Um, but he's being silly. He's not been paying attention. And this, <laughs> this young couple who are out for a bit of a joyride and a ride, um, <laughs> like, steal the car, uh, drive down to the coast. So then we have this... We have, like, two parts of a story. We have the investigation into what has happened. Very Fargo-esque. Um, <laughs> uh, G- G- uh, Giorgio's uh, wife, you know, what's happened to her? Has she been... Well, maybe she's just been kidnapped. And they're like, oh, right, we need to look into this. Um, thing going on on one side. And then the second part of the story is basically this serial killer, very no country for old men, now that we're just throwing <laughs> Coen Brothers stuff out there, tracking these people down that have stolen something that doesn't belong to them. Um, I f- I, this movie's fucking great. I, I, I really, really like it. This is the one out of all the ones on the list I think you would really kind of struggle to see as a horror movie, although there is one scene that definitely elevates it. There is a rape in this movie, which, whilst maybe not necessarily fully graphically shot to the titillation of a director, the after effect of what happens with, when you see her pulling up her underwear, um, completely broken as, a, as an individual, uh, I think that's quite traumatising. But I think this movie just works really well. It, it has a bit of pacing issues in the middle. It slows down a little bit too much. But we have a great killer who we know is the killer right from the start, bucking Jallo trends. Um, and his, his kind of methodical tracking down um, of, of this, this couple who he very viciously kills uh, before uh, facing off against the woman he rapes. So the movie really just takes this different tone in the second half. It's like, remember this guy before, this adulterer guy who hired him? Right, we're not really concerned about that anymore. We'll see, we'll see him occasionally, but let's focus on this story. And it works really well. I, I, think it's, I think it's a fantastic 
little giallo. I think Cosy uh, directs it brilliantly. Uh, it has a very artistic feel. Once again, the scoring is great. Acting, for the most part, is pretty cool. Um, and it just it does something a bit different. It gives things a little difference, which I can kind of get behind because there are a ton of movies out there that just play to the book. This is what we're doing. They don't do anything else. Uh, but The Killer Must Kill Again is definitely one. I can't wait for this one to get a formal Blu-ray release in the UK. i got a feeling that 88 films are probably trying to track this, this one down uh, for their Italian collection because they've already they've already nabbed up quite a lot and Cosy feels like one that might be on their list. Uh, equally, I don't know if anyone from Arrow Podcast or, um, <laughs> or Arrow video are listening. Uh, I'll, maybe the next time we're speaking to the dude from there. This is one I would raise uh-huh. to say, just you know... I'm not saying a huge collector's edition or anything like that, but I'm just saying, worth your time. I think it's a fucking great movie. What about yourself? Uh, the Killer Must Kill Again definitely feels like Hitchcock. As a matter of fact, I would describe it as a reverse rear window. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where instead of trying to stop someone from getting away with murder, is blackmailing them into committing another murder for you. Yeah. Which, like you said, is very interesting in the time frame that this happens. It's almost like the guy feels like because he's a man, he's safe because he thinks the serial killer will only kill women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of a little bit misogynistic in that realm. Just a tad. Just yeah, a tad. it's it's uh, also you you mentioned the what, what you feel brings it into the the horror realm completely is the rape scene and the thing that this film does is intercut that with a sex scene that's happening between two willing participants yeah. in a car. Yeah. And when it goes back and forth and it's like, no, this is the same. It's being brutalized, but this is the same back and forth, back and forth. And it's just like just really disturbing. And I don't understand why Cozy made that choice to intermingle a willing, almost romantic sexual encounter that's happening between two people that are just kind of out for some kicks. You know, they're very tender, loving moment with the serial killer beating and then raping the girl yeah. in the in the apartment to punish her for stealing his car and inconveniencing him that's the real reason he's doing it you know it's just so just so twisted and bizarre but it's so jolly at the same time that you just kind of you go with it yeah. it's just there um and also I, I think uh it does have i mean if you're going to consider a lot of hitchcock's movies murder you know instead of murder mysteries and call them horror films i i think you definitely need to put the killer must kill again in that same kind of category and i don't think I, I hate to say this but i don't think cozy ever touched this kind of brilliance that he had in this film again yeah i, I would agree with that I, like i say i for all i love contamination it's a silly movie you know what i mean it's, it's not a serious movie at all should not be taken seriously and i i totally agree with you this kind of it feels weird for this director if you know if the old uh, poltergeist story was to come out you know, that, you know, someone else had been on set and maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, that would not surprise me. It just feels so different from, from the rest of his, his works. Um, it just feels so confident. And like the, the way you're saying about that, the juxtaposition of that shot just feels like a really interesting, very bold artistic choice, which you just don't think of when you talk about Luigi Cosi. You don't just sit there and go, yeah, he's a very brave director. Yeah, if you would have if you would have put the phrase "bold artistic choice" and cozy, I'd be like, "You mean the guy who did Star Crash?" Yeah, 
<laughs> you don't you don't think that, but it's, it is. It just feels. I don't know. There's there's something about like I say. There's something really quite interesting about the later day. Um, Jalos. It's, it's just directors were trying. To, some of them were just doing the same things, and other ones kind of. I think they saw the writing on the wall. They'd done about seven already in like three years, and they were just like, right, let's. Can we just do something different? Um, and this one feels like I, I look. There are so many little bits and bobs with this this movie whether it's either casting or location or, or the way it's shot or some of the the actual the way they've been edited together that i think this elevates it above the standard the standard amount of of a uh, of, of jallies that were just kicking around at the time i think it's a really good one no i totally agree i really enjoyed this film and i would love to have some type of a blu-ray release as well um you know maybe somebody out there that's going to do some euro releases uh you know scream factory yeah. you guys have been on it uh maybe whenever synopsis is done you know finally getting that restoration of suspiria <laughs> they can kind of tilt their eyes towards killer must kill again i know it had a dvd release here in the states i think mondo macabro may have done that and if that's the case they're getting back to their back catalog and redoing them on blu-ray so we can hope for that too so yeah we're lucky in the uk we've got a lot of different labels that are doing italian stuff at the moment uh, most prominently uh, shameless shameless are going through their back catalog and they had so many they they bought the rights to so many italian movies um i think they may have put out the, the dvd in the uk but it's the blu-ray that i really want definitely want that and i know like arrow obviously put out contamination so be quite interesting (laughs) to see to see who gets their hands on it or i'll i'm going to ask some questions i'm going to be nosy um right so like i say like the the writing was on the wall jallos were pretty much on the way out um they really only had about one more year left and that was it um the 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 genre that had been originally created by the great Mario Bava, but really given a, a sense of purpose, identity, and uh, brought it to the mainstream by Dario Argento with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, was about done. The writing was on the wall. And then Argento, coming off a, a failure of his own, actually, Five Days in Milan, which, um, which bombed, um, <laughs> kind of comedy movie that he wanted to do after his his animal trilogy. Uh, he comes back and he, he brings it this little movie called Profondo Rosso, a.k.a. Deep Red, a.k.a. The Hatchet Murders, which makes no fucking sense because no one dies with a hatchet in it, but who cares. Um, yeah, he brings it this little movie called Deep Red. And it, to me, is the first one I can say confidently from beginning to end is a horror movie. Um, it's the first giallo that every scene feels like a horror movie. And the funny thing about Deep Red is, basically Deep Red is a remake of Bird with the Crystal Plumage, as is pretty much all Argento Jallies. It follows the same ideas, it's the same beats again. Tourist or foreign person living in Italy accidentally sees a murder. He is questioned by the police, he can't remember quite one detail which is going to annoy him throughout the movie. He's going to team up with a woman who's going to, you know be a kind of maybe a potential love interest but potentially help him solve the crime and he's going to go through while the police are investigating eventually that one bit of detail is going to come out right at the very end and they will realize if voila this is the this is the answer to solve the mystery and then the killer will die in the most over-the-top brutal way 
that's an Argento Giallo. That's the recipe. That's all you need for it. But he does almost the unthinkable and he creates a nightmare on screen prior to to Suspiria. This is this is like peak Argento when it comes to I I've said it before, when it comes to Argento films, my favourite Argento film is not his best movie. His best movie is Suspiria. Hands down is his best movie. Suspiria is not my favourite Argento movie. My favourite Argento movie is Tenebrae. But you know what sits right behind both of those movies? Deep fucking red. I hmm. absolutely love this movie. I've discussed it before. I did it with Big Jeff X Martin. Uh, we doubled it up with pieces. Uh, because that was the fucking blast. Um, and the synopsis for this one. After witnessing the murder of a famous psychic, a musician teams up with a feisty reporter to find the killer while evading attempts on their lives by an unseen assailant bent on keeping a dark secret buried starring david hemmings daria nicolodi oh is it ever uh, and gabriel <laughs> lavia i oh, honestly this i don't even know where to begin with this movie and i've spoken about loads so we're going to keep it short because uh, this is our final movie um this is just it's fucking brilliant like this has one of my favorite one shot scenes of horror ever captured uh, where the doll appears from Oh, yeah. and just comes speeding down <laughs> well that like obviously obviously James Wan saw that I'm looking at you <laughs> so. um, totally yeah. saw that um, it's just the deaths are brilliant the investigation's great the the combination of David Hemmings and Daria Nicolodi depending on which cut you get if you get the proper Italian cut their their love interest is brilliant it's the flirtiness and all the rest if you see the American cut that's gone altogether yeah. and it almost sets it out to be that Nickelodeon might be the killer which I fucking hate um, the balls like me and, Bo, me and Bo have this thing at the moment where we talk about like ballsy directors making ballsy decisions and we, and we do the Italian they love the fucking balls on this guy the fucking <laughs> balls um, on this guy to have in you know the first 10 minutes of his movie an actual shot of the killer which is there which is yeah. the reveal at the end and then when you realise you rewind it back and check it and you hit stop the killer's there from the start so very much like the character you have psychologically picked it up so when you see it again you're like did that happen? Did that, what? Um, it's so gutsy and so ballsy and it could and in the hands of a lesser director it doesn't work you fucking goblin joining up with Argento <laughs> for the first time and doing the most amazing Goblin Argento collaboration score. The score for Deep Red is incredible. Um, yeah, there is nothing I dislike about this movie. It's it's amazing. I even I even find it funny that in Japan um, they they tried to release the movie as Suspiria too because once again, why not? <laughs> uh, you know, fair play to them. Uh, but this one is a huge international success for Argento. This one, you know, Bird with a Crystal Plumage made them famous. Uh, in international circles this made him a rock star household name uh, and Suspiria would elevate him to master of horror so yeah kind of love Deep Red um, what about yourself Court? I have nothing negative to say nor do I have anything to argue against any of the points that you made I wholly agree with everything that you said uh, I feel that Deep Red just to kind of expand upon what you've said here I feel that Deep Red can be paralleled with the way that Jaws had its effect on changing the landscape of horror 
I feel that Deep Red became the thing that drew these types of films, these jolly, more prominently into America and, and the rest of the world. I think this became the touchstone to where people are like, oh, there's something here. I know that uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage and some of the other ones did have a little bit of a, a crossover in America, but I feel like Deep Red is the almost like the floodgate just opened where people are like, whoa, what yeah. is this? And I believe this is where he gets the he gets the reference where they say that he's he out Hitchcock's Hitchcock or yeah, something along it, yeah. those lines. <laughs> it's like weird. And I, the gag with the the gag with the, the the killer's face being seen and then you not realizing it when it's in the mirror reflection, it is so masterfully done and such a genius and like you said, ballsy move. Every time I see it in the film now and I know it's there, I still kind of almost forget that that's what I'm seeing, even though I know it's there. And like right after that happens, I'm like, oh, right. And I have to back it up before we even get to the end just because I want to see that part again. You know, it's so wonderfully set up and masterfully done. And another thing that people probably don't really talk as much about because they don't see it in the American cut down version the relationship that happens between Dario Nicolodi's character and David Hemmings, it's actually a very feministic point of view because Hemmings is very, I don't want to say misogynistic, but he's kind of sexist where he says that women are clearly not strong enough to do this or that. And then you see yep. Dario Nicolodi destroy him in an arm wrestling <laughs> competition. Yeah. And then after destroying his male ego and his pride, turn right around and turn on her feminine wiles and reassure him that it was probably just luck or something along those lines and immediately charm the pants off of him again. Like, I love her character in this. I kind of wanted to see her do all the investigations because she's just more or less dragging Hemmings along for the ride because his character, Marcus, is just boring as shit. Like, you don't really care what happens to him. At least I don't. I'm more concerned with what happens with Gianna. I'm like, yes, Gianna report on this more <laughs> and the, the the bits they spend in her car where her car is like this pos that they can't ever get started right and if you shut the door wrong it won't ever open again and they have to come in and out through the sunroof and everybody else in the world would probably just not even bother spending that much time with these comedic character building points of these two guys or the the the, the two investigators the diana and marcus but those pieces are what what make this film so endearing and lovable to me like uh, and the violence is so over the top and you mentioned it's not really a hatchet i don't know if you're aware of this or not but sometimes not always but sometimes a meat cleaver is referred to as a hatchet ah. and there's a lot of there's a lot of meat cleaver action in this film so that's where i think they came up with the hatchet murder you crazy americans i it's not me i would not a meat cleaver is a cleaver <laughs> You know, for me, it's always going to be a cleaver because that leaves lots of puns where you're like, hey, cleaver alone and, and stuff like that. So there we go. Uh, the death of Helga, uh, the, the psychic at the beginning. I like to pretend that that's the same character from the Night Train murders because she gets away. And here's where she gets her comeuppance. She's been faking being a psychic for like ages to try and hide what she did. And then, then finally, you know, she gets her comeuppance here at the beginning of Deep Red. And boy, does she ever want to talk about the most brutal fucking murder you'll ever see on film. I don't think it gets any worse than the way that she dies. Helga is just brutalized with that freaking cleaver. Yeah. And then she falls on 
like a shard window of glass and impales herself and it's just gory and fucking violent and, and just so wonderful everything about this film i just i want to make slow love to it duncan it's so amazing <laughs> there you go i couldn't say it any better than that now ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen you've been sitting there you've been listening to us we have talked through 10 movies with the jaws deep red strip nude for your killer eyeball shivers the last stop on the night train don't open the door the killer must kill again lips of blood and race with the devil that was the easy bit believe it or not the hard bit is <laughs> or maybe not you never know the hard bit is actually narrowing these down to two movies to represent the year 1975 in the final round table myself and court need a bit of time need a bit of space we're going to compose ourselves, and we're going to come back but for your listening pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, you get to hear promos of shows that I love and you also get to hear a wee song that I'll pick to put in the middle. Myself and Court are coming back to sort this son of a bitch out and we're going to do that right after this. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I'm Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right, we have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon-exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? <laughs> we got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow.
Welcome back. So, whew, 1975. Ten movies. I'll read them again for you. We did Jaws, Deep Red, Strip Nude for Your Killer, Eyeball, Shivers, The Last Stop on the Night Train, Don't Open the Door, The Killer Must Kill Again, Lips of Blood, Race with the Devil. Now, Court, what I've been doing on these shows is we have been discounting titles that would not make a top five um, and how we've also been doing it is I will discount one that I feel you discount you and but we'll run it past each other and we'll see okay. how it goes so with that in mind my first one would be I think it's safe to say neither one of us are saying don't open the door should make it through so are we agreed that one comes out yeah that one's definitely gone gone not that it was that horrible it's just that it doesn't it, it's in too strong a company Yes, right. Um, do you want to suggest one? It doesn't have to be your one. It can be one of my ones. So, so. I'm going to also say that it's too strong a company for Race with the Devil. That one's definitely gone. Yeah. It's not that it's a bad film, but it, it can't hold a candle to some of these other ones. Yep, that one is gone. Um, I 
I'm going to... Where am I going to go? Where am I going? I'm going to say Lips of Blood as well. Yeah, I'm no arguments there. Again, not that it's a bad film, just it's, you know, it's triage time. We got to make these decisions. Yeah, it's, it's getting difficult. It's getting difficult. Uh, right, so we are now down to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven titles. Do you wish to be bold and suggest another one to go? Uh, yeah, um, I'm going to say, well, I liked it. Last stop on the Night Train or the Night Train Murders, it, it doesn't go into the top five out of all these ten. I would agree with that one. Uh, it's strange to see how many Italian movies here uh, now, by the way. It's mostly Italian movies. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, right. Where to go now? Where to go now? I am going to controversially say eyeball. Um, whilst, <laughs> I can't. I can't argue against that. Yeah. You're right. But whilst I really enjoyed it, I think I prefer the killer must kill again over it. Um, just because I really like the way that story moves and some of the some of the choices. Although eyeball coming back to it for the first time in a while, uh, I would say I fucking love this movie. So I will be watching it again. Uh, and one, one day when I finally get my finger out and I get time. And, you know, everything, the stars align and I do my Jallo-only podcast. I, I look forward to, to revisiting that movie post-haste. Uh, right, we are now down to Jaws, Deep Red, Strip Nude for Your Killer, Shivers, and The Killer Must Kill Again. By my reckoning, that is five titles. Court, do you have a number one picked? Uh, yeah, I, there, let's just get it out of the way. We're both going to pick Jaws, right? I mean, let's just say we're going to pick Jaws. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's pretty difficult not to pick Jaws. Um, it's a fucking great movie. It's timeless. Uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, so Jaws is our number one. So we will take Jaws off the list. We are now left with <laughs> three Jallies and a Canadian movie. Um, as 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 I like to call it, uh, fate. Fate, yeah. Uh, right, so... Do you have, is there a movie that's sticking out as your second favourite on this list or is it maybe in competition with something else? Do we need to debate it out or are you confident to say this is my second movie? I'm going to just make a bold statement here. I think both of us are going to agree on Deep Red. I mean, it, yeah. it, the competition that it's there, I don't think either of the other three can really compete with it. Yeah, I, I think this, like, yeah, it, it wasn't until we started going through it, I was like, this is actually a lot easier than I thought. Uh, yeah. Deep Red would probably be there. If you were to ask me what my favourite horror movie is from this year is Deep Red not Jaws um, I agree once yeah. again hive mind babe yeah, hive mind <laughs> this is, that's exactly what I would go with but uh, you can't argue that Jaws is the best horror movie of the year you can't it's just not my favourite horror movie of the year um, yeah that was, it turns out that was super easy <laughs> yeah. well if we want to talk cultural impact that's where I was going with this when I was thinking about you know what what did it influence in years to come what what uh, what what mark or what stamp did it leave behind? I mean, these two, if we want to talk art house cinema, Deep Red, and if we want to talk just overall Hollywood cinema, Jaws. So I, I'm totally happy with these choices that we've made here. Yeah, plus you've got to remember when it comes to the the top 10 of horror movies from the 1970s, you know, as a decade, Jaws and Deep Red on any given day can be on that top 10 list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any day of the week you could make your you could make a very strong case for them 
for the easily sitting on that list. Uh, it gets a bit more difficult when you're when you're looking at some of the other titles. Court. See, one mind, baby, one mind. <laughs> um, I, I like it when it's one mind. I like it when things are harmonious and we, we, we move right through. I would like to say that thank you very much for bringing to my attention again, stripping in for your killer and eyeball. Those were a pleasure to get a chance to watch. Um, now, like I said at the start of the show, you are a busy man. You have a, a, a fantastic show that has recently celebrated its centenary in episodes which means you are now officially a legitimate podcaster. That's your, <laughs> that's your probationary period over now. Uh, you, you, now you, now, you now have ruling to continue for another 100 years. I don't know if that's what happens when you reach 100. Uh, you get an email from the podcast gods who say congratulations for finally achieving the milestone of 100 episodes. Now this is where the real work begins. And we um, did it under two years because we make sure we put something out every week. <laughs> a smart man right there. That's how you do it. And you don't have crazy numbering systems like the podcast under the stairs. <laughs> Which only hit episode 100 this year, at the beginning of the year, albeit having close to 200 shows out. Um, so, yeah, but we'll not talk that thread. Um, so, yeah, uh, you have you have the fantastic Cinema PsyOps and the brand new OCD podcast over on Legion Podcast. Please tell the listeners where they can check out both of those shows. Oh, they are both available in iTunes and Stitcher, and I do believe they're both available in Google Play. Uh, we're working on getting OCD because it's still very new. It's a monthly podcast. So we try to get it because uh, Obsessive Cinema Discourse, shortened to OCD, basically describes what the show's all about. We we really pick apart a movie once a month and really look deep into what it is that makes us love or hate the movie. And we're really detail oriented. So we try to make sure that we're going to get it out the first of every month <laughs> because because we have to have those details ready to go. Um, Cinema PsyOps is iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, working on getting it in all the other podcast aggregators out there. Or you could just hit the main page, legionpodcast.com. For Cinema PsyOps, it's forward slash cinema dash PsyOps. And I don't believe that OCD has its own page just yet, but it's on the main feed for Legion Podcast. And if you go to the website, you'll be able to find our first episode where we talk about Dolomite. Yeah, great episode as well. Absolutely loved it. I was talking to Boz um, when I was recording with him for Neon Demon um, recently. And I was just, that's... You you have uh, scratched an itch that I did not know that I had, and looking forward <laughs> looking forward to, to to future episodes of that show coming out. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, you can feel the love between the three of us on the recordings and on the episodes when they're finished. It's just there. We, yeah, we all I, love I, each I like other to so feel much. that I'm partly responsible for this as well because, like, I noticed that recently you posted on Facebook your anniversary of your bromance with with our good buddy Boz. Yeah, uh, it's because I, of you. Yeah, <laughs> on the top ten last year, weirdly enough, yeah. the mist. You you introduced us on that show, and we've been together ever since, and our, our bromance has flourished. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Right, Court. I am going to take one more break. When I come back, I'm going to close out the show. Thank you very much for giving up some time. And listeners, I know you're like, oh, don't go, Court. Court's back in a couple of episodes. <laughs> 1978, where that final section that we just went through will not be over in three minutes. Um, no. <laughs> no, it's going to be so hard, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm brutal. I'm, I'm preparing myself for tears. Um, but um, I will be back to close out this show right after this. 
You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been episode 118, looking at 1975 as part of our Teapot's Top 10 run of shows, counting down the years and the decade known as the 70s to create the ultimate Top 10 horror movies of the 70s list but with the caveat that sneaky caveat to create a list unlike you've ever seen before by using Noah's Ark rules only two movies for each year and what a fantastic year 75 was and moving forward Jaws and Deep Red to the finale two fucking huge huge heavy hitters carrying forward ooh there we go that was a great show thank you very much to my guest Court he will be back later on He's got the the unenviable task of um, sorting down 1978 with me. Whole hell of a lot of good movies in that year. Um, but if any man can do it, court psyops can do it. Now, to let you peek behind the curtain, as of the date of this show recording, all the series is recorded, which is pretty fantastic news. And they'll be put out in rapid-fire succession, giving us a bit of breathing room so we can publish the list of 20 movies. You guys can um, vote in ahead of the roundtable recording. It's going to be serious, there's going to be a whole lot of conversations still to come, but you guys are pretty fucking awesome, which means everything is going to be awesome. Right, 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 right. There's more updates. Ladies and gents, I have officially handed the list of 10 movies to the Baz for Baz v Halloween. That list is now in his hands. It's been ordered. There are five shows there's some great titles. I cannot give away the title names. I know, I think Myron was asking on the Facebook group page, when will that list be published? It'll be published probably a week before the series starts. The reason behind that is in previous years when we posted a list of movies ahead of the, the watching of the movies by the Baz, what happened was certain people mentioned certain things about certain movies which ultimately tainted the viewing experience. The whole purpose of the series of shows is to make sure that Baz goes in blind as fuck. <laughs> And hopefully we score a couple of wins. Five movies. The first movie of each episode has been chosen by you guys, the listeners. You sent me in a list of 70 movies, which I whittled down to five. The movies that didn't make it through, uh, some were discounted because Baz has already reviewed them. Some were discounted because Baz has already seen them out with teapots. And um, some were discounted because I thought they would make fantastic other shows down the line so early next year we'll be picking off some of the titles you guys suggested that I would love to dedicate more time to so do not fret if your movie did not make it to the end um, there was quite a lot of crossover several people mentioned the same movies um, across many lists so those were the ones that were bumped up uh, primarily uh, to make the Baz v Halloween list so yeah we're going to be recording that real soon ahead of October and then guys it's going to be a ton of fun rolling through five weeks to the Baz Let's see if we can break him and leave him a blubbering mess. Like I said at the start of the episode, next week on the Monday, you will get the Teapots Movie Club responses. Now, hopefully you've already submitted your review in. Uh, The closing date is tomorrow, Friday the 25th of August. So you have till the end, end of the day to get that in to make it to the recording. Thus far, I think we've got about three or four reviews 
uh, at the time of me recording this. Hopefully we'll have a bit more. I would like to try and make sure we always have about the eight. That makes that makes a nice even split. But we'll see if that comes in. The reviews have been great. Some people really digging on that movie. At least one review not enjoying the movie. You know who you are out there. And um, I would love to argue with you, but all your points are valid. So um, I can't say any more. And we'll say it more on the show when it happens. And then on Thursday, 31st of August, we drop our Teapots four-year anniversary show. You still have time to get your voicemails in. Please, please, please do that. The more input we get from you, the better the show sounds. So Monday, the 28th is a cut-off date. You can send us an audio recording done on your phone or your computer or type up um, well wishes, funny stories, anecdotes, what's what's the strangest thing that's happened to you listening to a Teapots episode, etc. And get them sent in no later than Monday, the 28th of August to make that show drop in on Thursday the 31st. Okay, I have talked a lot um, at the end of this show. I'm going to do lots of plugging here and get out your hair. Uh, there are plenty of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs. We like to make you use Apple products. I don't know why. We're not sponsored by them and a lot of people are against Apple. They are an evil corporation, but they've already got their their tender hooks into me and I can't let go. Apple Podcasts is the medium to check out if you own a Apple product. Um, if you are over checking us out on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe. That way you get the episodes as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue. And if you're doing that, why not leave us a rating and a review? Now, the ratings are really important. The more of them we get, the higher up the iTunes charts were pushed for people to check out the show. So if it was five stars, for example, the more of them, the higher up the charts. It keeps us visible for people to find the show. But the rating is really good but the review is even more important in my opinion the review is what tells people what they can expect from listening to the show um, so let them know if you love our show please write it down it takes a couple of minutes of your time doesn't cost you anything means the world to us and supports the show you can check out the podcast Under the Stairs on Stitcher Smart Radio on TuneIn on SoundCloud Google Play various other podcatchers out there that you can find us on please visit our website tputscast.com you can join up our mailing letter our newsletter by going to the bottom of that web page and typing in your email address. Um, they come out every two to three weeks and they always contain a competition. So to be in for a chance to win free shit, you need to, to put in your email address there and we'll send them out to you. You can enter and hopefully win some rad, rad stuff. Um, please visit our Facebook group page. We are almost at 500 members. The unattainable dream is almost attainable. Um, I believe we're about eight members short now, which is fucking nuts. Um, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. Visit the baths on the twin prongs of social media sexiness. Both can be found at cast on Twitter and on Instagram. Interact with him. He loves it. He will interact back. I apologise for what he writes in advance. With all that out of the way, that means that... Hmm, I think that's the end of the show. That's right. Thank you very much for joining us here. This has been two very long episodes this week. And hopefully we've got you through a very, very busy week. I just want to address one more thing. I'm going to go in more detail on the anniversary show. But um, over the last week, I know um, certain podcasts have started going down the Patreon route. Which I'm all for. If you have an opportunity to have people support you monetarily to put out your product... That is fantastic. But a couple of people asking me if it's something the podcast under the stairs is considering. I'll just say up front and honest, no. Um, it's not a business model that I personally think works for this show. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, I, this show is my gift to you, dear listeners. Um, the merch that's been purchased this year has covered the cost of web hosting and um, for for the, the SoundCloud hosting for the podcast. So, yeah. 
I'll not be chasing anyone for, for any contributions or anything like that. Although, like I say, nothing against you if you've got a podcast out there that's doing that. Fair play to you. It's just not anything that I want to do here. So be rest assured that the podcast under the stairs will be a Patreon-free podcast for... As far, if I can get my way forever. Um, that's that's the way I rolls, motherfuckers. Um, anyway, anyway, I just wanted to get that out there and just put that in the podcast. I did post it on Facebook, but not everyone that listens to the show uh, is on Facebook or on our group page. So hopefully that that's out there now and you can take it as is. Maybe go into a bit more detail about it on the anniversary show with the Baz um, and explain a bit more of my my stance behind it. But um, yeah. No need to go into it here. Long episode, remember, ladies and gents? Long fucking episode. So anyway, I'm going to jump out your hair just now. Thank you very much for supporting the show. There are no Teapot's Top 10 episodes next week. It's Movie Club and Anniversary Time. Thank you very much, everyone that's already submitted things. I look forward to hearing the many more that will come in in the interim. Uh, And wherever you are, whatever you're up to, and whatever the time zone is out there in this big, bad world, please, please, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from Under the Stairs, and I'm signing off.
at all. Um, but it's quite interesting <laughs> that 